Welcome to episode 420 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 420 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, and you? Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. We're doing all right in the cricket. Just check yeah, it out. Yeah. We need three wickets in one one session. Nice. Which yeah. is, if they've already lost seven wickets in a day, you think three, it's going to be their bottom end batters? We're on fire. Well, have we ever beaten the West Indies in a series in the West Indies? We have once before. Really? In yeah. a series? Yes, yeah. Wow. I'm well, well done on nine net. It was on the news last night. Oh, still, that's pretty impressive. Okay, I am talking is proudly brought to you by coffeesofhawaii.com. Oh, you need it right now, team. Athlinks.com. You need that right now as well. Extreme endurance. Do you know what you need right now? Extreme endurance. Extreme endurance. Trainerroad.com. Get on it right now. Okay, guys. John, just one of the ads. Have you ever tried one of those KFC double downs? No. They don't, they don't look very healthy. No. <laughs> Just I've never tried one, but it's just an ad on some website now. Double down, give me a bite. Do you know what the, 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 this week is a little bit of? Or Australia it, Week. It is Australia Week. We've got an interview, haven't we? We have. We've got an interview with uh, Jane Hunt about. Uh, She's sent us through over this book. I tell you what, this is the ultimate triathlon coffee table book, isn't it? The Foundations of Triathlon in Australia. We'll talk a bit more about later, but I, I was expecting a, a, a just. A, Pretty yeah. crappy, not crappy, uh, not but crappy. You know. I was expecting a, it's sort of just a, a soft cover or maybe a small hardcover book, That's, but this is, this uh, is impressive, the real man. Monty. If you're an Australian listening to the show right now, you have to buy it. If you love triathlon, hey, like seriously, oh, yeah, it's a beautifully made book, but just like I've only just had a quick flip through it because John's passed it through and just brought it along today, but it's just the depth of it, eh? Mm. And it's, oh, no. it's, it's pretty fantastic. We're going to have her on the show. But anyway, uh, this week's show, we've got some news. There's no website of the week, John. There is no website. He told me five times beforehand. Yeah. Yep, just so I didn't stuff that up. Uh, Coach's Corner. With Bevan. <laughs> yes. Right. Third time in seven years. Yeah. Uh, and we've got an interview with Joe Hunt. So Jane about, Hunt, oh, even. Oh, sorry. Jane Hunt. Um, about the book. And then we've got a couple of questions and answers at the end. And some nicknames. Big news week this week. It's a big news, John. And actually, the biggest news you don't even know. No, it's Jeff's news. Jeff's news. Now, wait a second. Let me pull up Jeff's and news. And I haven't got Joe's news because she keeps sending it to my old email address. So if, if she sent anything interesting through, you can, you're going to have to bring that up. Does the old email just not even work now? Oh, I might have it working in the next day or two. I'm not too worried about it. It's so old. Did you not get the one that was where you won a million dollars? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's too slow to reply. John, sure you crap out. That's been like a week and a half that yeah, email has been going. Too stressed because that's basically where my spam goes to, and people like you spam me and get with the Do times. you know what? Actually, now if you've emailed the show over the last period of time and I haven't responded, it's because for some reason a few of the I am talk emails were going into my spam box. Mm. And I never checked my spam box and the other day I thought, oh, I'll check my spam box. And there were like quite a few I am talk email. Oh. So if I haven't responded to you, like I really try my best to respond to every email we get. So it's probably because you went into my spam box. So if it was important, send it again and I'll get on to you. Jeff Martindale, mm-hmm. I think we were given a nickname at some stage. He sent through this week's number one news. Right. I'm going to put a bit of theme music. Bom, 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 bom. John Newsom has been dropped to number two in the world age oh, rankings. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> yes. You are kidding me. Yes, you are. Right. The system sucks. <laughs> this is just a, an absolute 
<laughs> See, it is big news. It is. I'm going straight there now. <laughs> so we're going to the www.ironman.com uh, and we've got the triathlon rankings, age group overall. And John Newsom is the age group of 30. Bloody Aussies probably in front of me. 30. Australia weeks off. <laughs> Australia, Australia weeks off. <laughs> and it is some stupid bloody Australian. Good old, um, I'm going to say Kirkin. Kieran, maybe? K I R R O N. It's probably an Irish dude living in Australia. Kieran, Kieran, Kieran Duncan. He's, he's not he, a, he's he a messenger, John. What's he done? Oh, Andrew Smith from New Zealand. He's in second, third, I mean. Phil Patterson's just hidden the top five now. Good Caesar. rankings. Here we go. Here we go. Look, look, there you go. You're stuffed. Oh, I get out. I get there. Right. Are we, are we looking at. And he's o- only done three races as well, John. Are we looking at overall age group rankings or are we looking at Ironman rankings? Whichever one looks better for me, we'll look at. What do you mean? Because they have an overall one, which means your Ironman and 70.3s combined. Well, you've an overall less of time because he's. So he's done three races. He's done overall time of 23 hours, 54 minutes. You've done three races. Your overall time is 17.56. But I'm figuring he must have done three Ironman. Because you're like, yeah, yeah. Right, this is a joke. And, and obviously, Duncan, I mean, Curran, Curran Duncan from Australia. Yeah. For Australia Week, he's the champion, John. You've only got one chance to get it back now, haven't you? What is this? Right, let's see what he's done. Let's have a look. Okay, let's pull him up. Hey, he's done Iron Man Cairns. Yeah, done Iron Man 927. Cairns. Yep. Okay. He's done Iron Man Asia Pacific, Melbourne, 921. Yep. So it's done two Ironmans. And he's in G-Long 70.3. And he did a, he did a 504. The so system's flawed. The system is, it does seem a little bit flawed because I would say, without being biased because you're standing next to me right now and I'm a bit afraid of you beating me up, that does seem like you're slightly faster. Yeah, but I mean, there, uh, to, to be fair to the system, you do got to do two Ironmans to be remotely competitive. Once I've got my second Ironman up there, I'll be a bit further So you're, you're claiming it back, you're going to say. I'll claim it back. <laughs> But uh, I don't think you should have, be allowed to have three Ironmans as rank. I mean, how many people do three Ironmans in a year? Well, he hasn't. That, yeah, I know. But at the end of the year, the winner will have probably do done three. you get three. more points for Ironman? Yeah, much more. Yeah, oh, so it's dear. F- up, up to 5,000 points for, for Ironman. And then uh, halves must be up to, I'm not sure what it is, but he's... Yeah, he finished eleventh and got two thousand seven hundred points at a at a seventy point three. Finished twenty second. So how in does Melbourne. he get more points for you? Because you've done two halves. I've done two halves and one Ironman. Uh, he's done two Ironmans and one half. So no, hey, it's not his fault. You're you're slack. Yeah, you should be doing more Ironman. Yeah, I still don't think I'll be at the top at the end because somebody's going to do three Ironmans. What do you think you're going to get? Top ten? Yeah, I think I'll get top ten. Top five. Probably about there. You're going to have there. to have a good Kona, John. Yes. You get more points for Kona? No, you don't. And that's oh, the other flaw in the stupid. system. Anyway, okay, uh, that's not important anymore because that, was that system news, sucks. Wasn't it? That, <laughs> unless John wins. Okay, we've had a lot of races happening this weekend, and the first race, which was a pretty stellar race as always, was Ironman Austria. And I've got th- we had three people from Epic Camp Kona uh, from our light camp over there doing it, and I'm going to rather than harp on too much about whether it's accurate or not, I'll see if I can get some distance clarification because if the distance is Austria is always fast, but I just want to know was 180k on the bike and was it pretty close to 42k's on the run because if it is 
That is just an amazingly fast course, and it was again. Ivan Rana, 44 swim, 4.15 on the bike, and 2.43 on the run for 7.48, which must be one of the fastest times of all time. You have uh, Ray Lert with 7.41 or 42 yeah. from Rote. Marino Van Helnicke did a, a 7.45 there. Yeah. Yep. So just incredible racing. And then uh, Christian Kramer in second. He was only uh, well, he was six minutes back, but still 7.54. John, if you went sub nine in this race, you only got 47th overall. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely smoke. <laughs> so, awesome. David Please was third. So I heard of him. Yeah, he's uh, from Slovakia. Um, he's been been around, but I would have thought a few of the other dudes might have. Michael Weiss. Michael Weiss was only down in eighth place, and Marco Albert must have had something going wrong on the bike because he only rode four thirty six, but came back with a two forty seven marathon. So another really good marathon for him. And yeah, so it was an so interesting on, day. On the guys' side of things, even Rana. So I was just reading the kind of um, the piece about the race, and they're saying that since Kona, where he got sixth last year, he's put a lot of work into his bike. Mm. And um, you know, the guy's obviously a pretty stellar athlete because he can swim like a legend. Now he's biking kind of that top level now, isn't he? And and he can run. He he's a bit of a threat now, isn't he? Oh yeah, and I think he always was, but he's probably at the same level as say Bevan Doherty. You know, a real threat. But you got to you know, Kona's Kona and. Yeah, it's but if he's picked up story. his bike, because mm. he did get six, like Bevan hasn't performed in a big race in that way yet. Yep. You know, he's mm. Ivan definitely had a pretty solid racing cone last year. If, if he has gained a bit of bike legs. Yeah, no, he's he's the real deal. He, uh, he, he's certainly in with the chance. I've got a question Kona. for you, John. You've got the John Newsom mid-season theory, which I think is quite a wise theory. Mm-hmm. Does Austria sit in this? Um, it just depends how hard he went. You know, he might have not. I, I still think whoever wins Germany next weekend won't win Kona, and that's sort of based off of history. So you'd so, say Austria would you know, sit in that same place. You'd, you'd, you'd think maybe Ivan Rana, this might be similar to, say, what a, um, Frederick van Leer does in France. There's only a week difference between the two, but yeah, he went 7.48. You're going, holy smokes, that's fast, but he, he's not really under a lot of pressure. He wins by six minutes, so he may or may not have gone really, really deep in that race. Um, so... Yeah, I think um, he's certainly in, in with a chance, and yeah, will certainly be yeah one of my top Didn't five. Didn't look picks. what I thought he'd look like, and he's got this big buffy here. I thought, I seriously thought you kind of think like when I thought Ivan Rana. I remember that Ivan movie, Ivan Rana. I remember that movie years ago about the cycling guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very popular, and it was that guy who was racing for was it this fellow team? Remember, and uh, and Lance would ring him up and give him a hard time in between. It was a really big doco about ten years ago. And it was following some cycling team. Anyway, oh, well, I can't, if you knew, it would help. But yeah, I, I, I assumed it looked like this, which was kind of like a, uh, like a kind of undercover agent kind of slick, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. And that's what photo of him. He looks got, like a bloody hippie. Big buff of hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and he's still racing on the ITU circuit a little bit. He's not doing that great, but he's still he's still there. And that's um yeah no, it's pretty, pretty impressive. Why he's would a he? former, former world champion. Well, he may well still get some funding if he does oh, that. Okay. So uh, the girl side of things was um, equally impressive. Lindsay Corbin went 8.42. Wow. Anyhow. That's pretty smoking. Swam 53. What's wrote, the record? It's about 8, maybe 20 now, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, prior to, if you take Chrissy out of the equation, this would be up there. right up there, the fastest of all time. So swim 53, bike 4.47, and then run 2.56. Very impressive. But what's even more impressive, you've got the top Five all going under nine hours. Wow. Simone Brandy was second in eight forty nine. My pick Lisa Hulthaler was uh, third in eight fifty three. I'm not sure if that was her Ironman debut or not. How'd you pick go? Uh, 
I haven't actually checked that out. Sophie Goss, she's had been having a good season. I think I picked her for second or third um, in 8.57. And then Miki Halbauer from Austria in fifth in 8.59. That is incredible when you have five girls going under nine hours. That must be a first. It probably would one be. race. Yeah. Jombo, Ferris pulled out uh, due to mechanicals. Right. He's yeah, out so on bike. Problems, yeah. He was right up there at, um, yeah. when I was just having a quick look at the training. Rainer, mm. we're pushing along. So um, impressive racing in Austria. Nice work. Challenge Atlantic City. Now, do we have the results? We do have the results. We don't have splits or anything like that. So um, we had Frederick Cronenberg take the race out in 8.31 with Scott DeFilippis in second in 8.37. And what was the guy's Bordeaux? Bordeaux was third in 8.40. And then on the girls' side, I think had Lauren Wasner in first place. What was interesting about her, she is um, a part of a twins, you know, a bit like the Brownlee brothers. They've yep. got the Wasner twins. Okay. And she is a survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma and is a f- apparently the first cancer survivor to become a professional <coughs> triathlete. Wow, that's pretty impressive. So pretty impressive. She's part of a sister act and uh, winning an iron distance race. Who so. got second? I don't have that in front of me. Okay. Uh, Peter Griffin sent us through an email. He's just got, I was listening about Atlantic City. He said, I was listening to the show this morning and I thought I'd share some insight on the destination of Atlantic City. I grew up in the southern New Jersey where Atlantic City is. It is a casino town with lots of nightlife if you're into that sort of thing. Obviously, Peter's a party animal. <laughs> uh, it does have a really nice boardwalk with lots of shopping and restaurants in addition to the casinos. Obviously, there's a beach here too. It will be hot and humid, uh, and humid through the upcoming weekend. So uh, it's supposed to be nice with a bit of a reprieve from the humidity. So not as bad as normal at this time of year. I did the first Atlantic City Triathlon a few years ago. It was and is organised by the local race director, who is also helping with the challenge event. That day it was supposed to be an ocean swim, but the swim got cancelled due to high surf conditions. It was a sort of neat in that. We had an indoor transition area in the boardwalk hall, which was a big arena right on the boardwalk. That seemed like a good idea until you realised that there was no way your Garmin was going to get signal into transition. <laughs> Hopefully those attending will keep a close eye on the equipment and not leave expensive bikes exposed to car parks in the city. Unfortunately, AC has a really high crime rate, especially with Feth. Uh, these are very bold Feths. Uh, I was giggling about 6am start only because when I did the similar smaller race where we stayed at a casino and I was leaving at 5am in my tri kit and heading to the race I was walking through all the people in the casino in the evening we are still up from the night before we were both looking at each other funny like what are you wearing it was definitely a clash of cultures yeah so it sounds like a good good party town probably a good post race party it would be a, good, a fun place to do a race because you can take your family yeah you know and, and as you say post race you can hang out for a few days have a bit of a gamble exactly see a show Jackie Gordon was Second and Natasha Vanderwerer was uh, was third. Okay, we also had Ironman France on this weekend. We did, and we did not have any um, Frederick Van Leer there this year. He's been there every other year. He's doing Germany. Right. He is doing oh, Germany. Germany coming up this weekend. So Bart Arnott took out the race, a pretty impressive fashion, in eight thirty three. Swam fifty one, bike four forty six, and ran two forty nine. And coming up at a rate of knots behind him was Victor. Morales and knots. He was, he was sailing, was he? Sep two forty two on the oh, run. That's pretty good. And he is you know, arguably one of the fastest runners out there for an eight thirty seven. And good old Tyler Butterfield um, came home in third in eight forty, and that moves him. Give me two seconds. That moves him up to second in the rankings in the world. Tyler Butterfield. 
well, he's like you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly like me. So that little chat might change a bit this weekend after racing, but currently Tyler Butterfield is uh, sitting in second place. On the girls' side of things, we had... Dun, 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 do some build-up music. Oh, I'm doing the cricket. I'm oh, the cricket. Come on, focus, focus, focus. One seventy-seven for seven. Very good race in the girls. Uh, I think I picked. I think, I'm not sure. We both picked Caitlin Snow to take it out. I'm um, sure I did, but she didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Tina, D- <laughs> Tina Dickers took it out. Uh, she swam one out. She rode five oh six, which is where she effectively won the race, and then solid two fifty nine forty seven for a nine twelve twenty one, and then. Only 40 seconds behind, also coming up at a rate of knots with a 2.52 marathon was uh, Caitlin Snow. And then third place, Lisa Roberts, um, was a 10 minutes back. But we had five girls go sub nine in Austria. Here we've got three girls going sub three on the run. That is impressive. Well, that is impressive, isn't it? And if they didn't get the distance right in France, they've got some serious issues. I'm sure they did because you basically run up and down the Promenade des Anglais, which is just a yeah, it's a straight yeah. out big Cut big boardwalk straight out and back. Uh, so I'm sure they'll be getting that right. So that's pretty impressive when you get three girls going under three hours. One of the cool things about France is. Um, really scenic bike course pretty challenging but at the same time not slow so you've got quite a bit of climbing but you've got a lot of descending in the final final sort of third because you've got to come back down to sea level okay so i suspect that's why you get some really good run splits there because you're, you know, you have to butt, button off a little bit in that final part of the bike ride so you're a bit fresher coming off rather than battling through that last sort of 40 to 50 k's so Jeez, that is a big weekend of racing we've also got ironman Coeur d'alene yes we have andy, andy potts Pot. taking it out um somewhat so hoffman ben hoffman who won it last year, I think? Yes. So he had, a, he had an accident with an age grouper. He did. He crashed into one. Yeah. And waited and picked them up. 13 minutes he lost in, in doing that. Th- 13, really? Yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. That's so, pretty impressive. So. Still, still finishing in third place so with a 2.43 marathon. Jeez, we've seen some good running over the weekend. We really have, haven't we? Really good running. Yeah. So Potts swam 47, unsurprisingly there, rode 4.42 and ran 2.51 for an 8.25 for a three-minute victory over Victor Zemensev with Ben Hoffman. Despite the crash, coming back and finishing in good third, Mike Twelsick, I think, was my pick for second place. Let me down in fourth. And Matt Hansen. Who I've never heard of before. He ran two forty two. Wow, eight thirty nine. It was a big weekend for running, wasn't it? Yeah, very fast. It's good. Good to see. Mm-hmm. And then on the girls' side of things, we had some more build up music. Heather Wirtle dominating yeah. the dojo. Fifty nine. She's, she's had a good couple of years, isn't she? Five twenty two, three oh nine, nine thirty four for a victory by. 20, yeah, did it, you know, it 15, deep, did 15 it. to 20 Isn't minutes. It, yeah, she killed it. Uh, Kelly Williamson in second and Jessica Smith in third place. Okay, John Bowes, so that's this weekend's race. Coming up this weekend, we have Ironman Germany, probably, you know, second biggest. What's the biggest race? You've got Kona. Oh, yeah, Germany no, you def- be second? You definitely say Germany's second, yeah. Melbourne third? Yep. Melbourne right. was pretty strong this year. Yep, yep. Um, so really let's compare. Probably. Melbourne had pretty strong field. What's Germany got? Oh, someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. Could it be a career? What's it going to be? More build-up music? Don't think it's going to be that exciting. Sounds like a career. Have you stopped talking? Let's stop talking. Oh, why'd you stop talking? I have nothing to say. Oh, but when you're talking about a race... How much time did we lose? 
Um, oh, how long did you stop talking for? Oh, a few seconds. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. Keep going. What do you got going. over there? Uh, just need to ask you. I have to say, we've got a friendly courier. Yeah. Yep, yep, the people in my neighbourhood are good. Good. These yep. are the people yep. in your neighbourhood. Did you stop completely? Did you yeah, say anything? I said a little bit, and then you, you were taking bloody ages. I don't take ages. How, 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 how long does it take to sign a piece of paper? It wasn't. It was, it was, a, it was an electronic thing nowadays. Anyway, okay. Well, what, what were you we're, talking about? We were talking about uh, Ironman Germany or Ironman. Oh, so I, who's here? I tell you what, I've got to say, this, 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 there's this, nothing to talk about. You have lots to talk about. Oh, I don't want to just share with you. I don't want you to oh, miss out. Yeah, you're so next, caring. Next week you'll come along to the show and say, who, who was racing in that Germany race? Yeah, I have to say, Norman Sadler back in the day. Cameron Brown took it out. Timo Bright, he's got some good names. Chris McCormick, Andreas Raylu, Farisal Sultan, Marino. And Nico Lanus, that's a strong list of winners, isn't it? I've got to say that this women's field looks incredible. The guys' field, we'll talk about in a moment, but I want to talk about the girls' because okay, it's go. awesome. Mary Beth Ellis, Jodie Swallow, Eva Wooty, some of you won't know of her, but she's just, she's absolutely crushed a couple of races last year. You've got Gina Crawford, Camilla Peterson, Sonia Tasek, Caitlin Snow, I wonder if she'll be racing, backing it up, maybe she will. Amy Marsh, Elizabeth Lyles, I think she won maybe Western Gr- Australia. Yeah, yeah, Natasha Badman, Corrine Ab- Abraham, who we know crushed Melbourne a few weeks ago. Simone Brandy, didn't I just read her out as a result somewhere else? I think I did. Where, where do we go? Maybe I didn't. Yeah, maybe I didn't. Anyway, yeah, now she finished second in Austria in eight forty nine. So the, these these start lists, some of them some of them not, might not be there, but bloody hell, man, that is a strong field. And then throw into the mix potentially Annabelle Luxford, seventy point three specialist, could. Uh, what could do you mean potentially? Is she well, she's she's on the start list. She's never done nine man before. Don't know how she'll react, okay. but at seventy point three, she's one of the very very best in the world. So that is a very hard race to pick. Um, could be very close. She got some really good swimmers there. She's probably have Mary Beth and Jody and maybe Gina Crawford maybe getting away a bit in the swim. So could be interesting. And then Corrine Abraham, as I've said before, if she races like she did in Melbourne a couple of years ago, holy smoke, she is just an absolute animal. And then on the guys' side of things, pretty awesome as well. Yeah. You've got Keenlay, um, Van Leard and Raylert are your real big three. Um, you also got Bas Dieterin and Jan Raphael to throw in the mix and along with Ronnie Shieldnick. But probably the, the interesting one to really keep an eye on will be what old Jan Fredino is going to do out there. Whether he is just going to follow, follow people and just... Uh, take it as a bit of a test run or whether he's really going to race it because so this is his first yeah because he's going to be in contention I mean, he's de- definitely going to come out in, with the leaders in the swim and then whether or not he goes after and attacks it on the bike but you know he's good enough just to you know if I was in his shoes I'd just be sitting in sitting on the bike and then uh, just follow on the run and then either to be honest I, if, if I was in his shoes I wouldn't go to the limit I'd just just finish somewhere you know, respectable and just sort of learn, learn your, your trade, trade a bit yep. and then uh, go and absolutely smoke everybody in Kona. Okay, so I've just pulled up the Melbourne field from this year. Dirk Bockel, mm-hmm. Paul Matthews took it out, David Dullo third, Craig Alexander fifth, Marino sixth. You had Luke McKenzie in 13th. Um, so it's, uh, it's probably a very similar field, Pretty really. Similar. Yeah, no, yep. I wouldn't say one's better than the other. I'd say when you've got Keenlay, Van Leerd and Ray Lert going head-to-head, that's probably... Yeah, know. but if you go Bockel, Marina, Alexander, mm. you know, and then you've got Luke McKenzie, which, mm. you know, Luke had a great day last year. Yeah. Has it been consistent as an athlete, you know, like still pretty strong. It is, yep. You know, it's, like so it's, it's, it's certainly comparable. Disappointing thing for me, again, is 
there's nothing about this anywhere on Ironman.com. And, you know, this is supposed to be one of our majors, you know. Let's, yeah. let's, you, know, it's not, you should be having an interview every day, YouTube clips going out and pumping all that up there. I mean, if this, I know tennis and golf are on a whole different stratosphere to Ironman, but hey, let's, let's at least give it a crack and try to give these pros some, some limelight and have a, have a 10-day build-up into the race and where you're really trying to, you know, get in people's inboxes and get on websites, but there's no mention of Ironman Germany anywhere. And this is, yeah, as you've said, it's the second biggest Ironman in the world. I mean, what the hell are the PR people doing? Well, it's interesting talking, we've got our Legends podcast up this month and it's Ken Bags from Australia. Again, it's Australia show this week. And uh, put another shrimp on the barbie. Yep. What's another Australian saying? Mate. Cheese, mate. Cheese, mate. Mate. Although I say mate a lot. Fair uh, dinkum. Fair dinkum. <laughs> um... What is it? Dingo, kill my baby. <laughs> so, Ken Bags. And we asked him if he felt pros are still really important for racing. And it was really interesting. So, Ken Bags, if you don't know, was kind of one of the big organisers, race directors in Ironman in the early days of triathlon. Well, he's only just retired now, so he's been in the sport for a long time. And Ken was saying that early on, the pros were really important. Like, mm. getting the pros, the big pros, to the race was really important as in drawing crowds. Whereas now, it's not so important. And so, obviously, maybe the effort of promoting pros disappears as well. So, I'm going to, uh, I'm lining up an interview with Andrew Messick. I saw him over in uh, Kona, and yep. I've just been emailing him and trying to sort out a time in the next couple of weeks to try to get him on. We'll see how that goes. He's a busy man. Yep. But uh, that's one of the questions I'm going to put to him, you know. <laughs> Yeah, how important pros are you know if, if you're looking from a business perspective I, if, I, if, I, if I was running Ironman Christchurch I, I would feel obligated to help the pros out but I'm going that's not going to get me any more entries so well, I, I think the thing is is when Mr. came in he definitely had this you know some of the conversations we had with him and just what he was putting out there was that we need to make our sport a bigger sport for pros because it meant a bigger exposure and you know he was like you know get bigger prize money and, and get more exposure for them and all the rest of it it hasn't really happened has it it's going up but yeah, it's still but pretty pathetic it's probably more yeah. just as an inflationary rate yeah yep no, I would so, agree with that. so it'll be interesting yeah we'll have to ask those questions if we get them on <laughs> okay Jonbo ITU and Ironman are now having talks around you know just getting to bed together they are, which is which is great, and that's one of the things Andrew Messick's doing, and I, I know he's motivated to do that. There's a lot of historic around this. Well, it's just it just makes sense, you know. So they had Jimmy Riccatello, and they had all the ITU sort of uh, technical people there, and they had they had a meeting, and it's just pretty straightforward. They're, I think what they're just going to do is come up with some standardised rules and say, right, you do a, a, a triathlon, and the drafting distance is ten metres or whatever. So you go to every race, and it's the same. Whereas at the moment, it's still not standardised across. across no, it's the all over yet. the place. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you race in New Zealand versus Australia versus Kona. It's different. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're pretty legit and you're not sucking somebody's wheel, you're probably not going to get done. Yeah. But yeah, in New Zealand, it's seven metres at some races, and then Australia, I think it's ten to twelve, and then I think in Kona, it's ten. And you know, just simple things like that. So it's going just a small step they can make. They don't seem to be at each other's throats so much. There's still probably a lot of differences there, but you know, rules is one area where it's pretty. It should be pretty easy. So this is ITU rules. This is Ironman rules. They're going to be the same. And then all the national federations, can you please adopt these rules as well? And we'll be hunky dory. So John, the Good question moment. I have for you is because you know you've been in sport forever. Um, for those who don't know, what, what's the bad blood between them? You know, because this, you know, like you go on, so oh, it's historic, you know, oh, it's historic, they're talking. Well, I guess, um, you know, you've got world long distance champs and you've got Hawaii. I mean, they're always trying to call them. Ironman is, I guess, uh, 
they're not sanctioned by any national bodies or anything like that, or the IOC. But was there bad blood between them, or, like, or was it just always kind they, of they have had the other competition? I don't know. I'm just trying to think if they did, if they ever really went head to head in terms of trying to um, say the world long distance champs versus the versus Kona. And I, Cause I, remember, I don't know if there was that much bad blood, but it just seems it just seems weird because like last year they had mm. an ITU person on the Kona coverage. And it was a big thing to have someone mm. in ITU, mm. one of the organisers, be at the Kona for the day. And, and you know, obviously this is great for the sport and it seems like an obvious step. And, you know, and, and you know when we think about how old the sport is, it's amazing it's taken this long for it to happen. So I'd be mm. curious to see, you know, some of the history around maybe the tension that was between the two groups. Yes, I don't know if it's – it's just different philosophies, really, yeah. because ITU, if they've got extra money – they put it straight into the athletes in terms of right. We're doing more. We, we want to get as much prize money as we can for the pros. So it's yep. a totally different. They're non-profit, and that's a really different. They're a non-profit organisation versus WTC is a it's a profit-driven organisation. So you look at the prize money on the ITU, and we've brought it up a number of times. It's going up year on year, and it's pretty good. Yep. And they really try to look after the athletes. Whereas WTC prize money has has steadily gone down. And again, if you take inflation into it, it's, it's pretty pathetic. And they're not highly motivated to improve that. So it's, it's two very different schools of thought, but and, and there's always going to be some differences, but uh, there's got to be some some common ground on some topics. Yeah, look, so. look, it, yeah it's great that they're doing this. It was just the, there's all this historical stuff, and I was I, kind I of curious to see why. I can't ever – well, I wouldn't say ever, but it's really hard to, to, to think, right, Kona is going to be the ITU world long champs, world distance long triathlon long distance but, but champs and all that stuff. Well, I think the whole qualifying procedure, you know, ITU is all about, it's by country. So you'd yep. have to, you know, each country would get allocated a certain number of spots. And that's, I think that's a, a bit of a quantum leap because in terms of the age groups honest, as well. The, the Ironman World Champs are the long course champs. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it is, you know, as much as it's a corporation owning it, it is definitely the one race in the world that represents the best long course champion. So, you know, like the ITU World Champs, it's not a joke, but it's not really that credible. It's it's yeah, it's not, nothing compared to Kona. Yeah. But the problem with Kona, as we know, is that suits a certain type of athlete, where it's you know, yeah. the ITU moves around, so you get a yep. more of a cross section of the best athletes in the world. Mm. So interesting, interesting times, and good on them. Okay, we've got um, just a couple of races coming up this weekend, Jumbo. I gotta say, you Poms have got so many flipping races in your you country. You guys love triathlon. How are you? How are they all going to survive? Is probably my one question because coming up this weekend, well, some of the races we've got this weekend, we've got the Big Man in Prague and Germany. We've got the um, Monogross Man in Spain. And then you've got the Chi Tri Man of France, the Cheju International in Japan. And then in the UK, another two iron distances, you've got the Beast. The Beast. In UK in the United Kingdom. And they really looked like they were pitching that to be you know, a tough race in terms of uh, you know, swimming through the surf in UK, which is sort of the hot surfing spot in, in Great Britain. And then a challenging bike course and a, and a challenging run. It looked really cool. It looks like they're doing a fantastic promo job on the website. Don't know how many entries they've got. Couldn't find that. And then you also had the, the Kita Triathlon in Kita Water in the United Kingdom. And that is being held in the largest man-made lake in Europe. Oh wow! And it's a little bit further up north. Looks like a fantastic course. You know, a bit of a bit of trail run going on. So two really cool, unique races. Looked at the entry fees of one of them, way below what you'd pay for an Ironman. It's just be interesting to see how these how these races survive. Okay, um, John's ITU update. We had at the weekend. We had the World Cup. 
a world triathlon series in Chicago. Last week I was a little critical of the course. You know, it was like yeah, a, I think I think he had sixty U turns within the course, and when they I watched a bit of the coverage and it was like four lanes wide, so you did have quite a big berth. So it was yep. still sixty U turns, but you were able to keep your speed up. Gomez is just an absolute machine. He just keeps on winning and just really crushed it. Uh, What's he really? Is he just injured? Uh, he came back. He won the European Champs the weekend before. And he's on his way back, but I just don't think he's quite at full fitness yet. So Gomez is dominating this year, isn't he? He is. Uh, it's, it's interesting this year. You've got Gomez, you've got Mola, and then the Brownleys are a little bit off the pace. So I'm sure they'll be Did back. Did Jonathan race? Should no. Go? Okay. No. So Gomez was just uh, unstoppable, and it really looked like they had the, a big pack stayed together on the bike, but, geez, they looked like they were working that bike ride. And then Gwen Jorgensen got dropped from the front group on the bike. She was, you think, race over. She's made the front group. She somehow managed to get dropped. And is she normally uh, not a good swimmer? She, no, on the bike. No, but so she normally she normally just misses the front group. Okay, and so she made the front group and then proceeded to get dropped somehow. <laughs> Her bike skills are, are pretty woeful, <laughs> but then uh, it doesn't matter. They they got a minute lead on her and that's nowhere near enough. She just absolutely crushed them again. Really, she is an incredible runner. So what kind kind of time is she running? Uh, sort of thirty fours. Nice. Yeah, thirty three, thirty four. She's just awesome. Wow. Okay, that's this week's news. We've got a sponsor. Extreme endurance. Nod. Get your nod, Bevan. Got your nod going. Oh, I bit my tongue. Oh, you goober. <laughs> so, nod. What do you mean, nod? Nutrition of the day. Oh, here we go. I like saving money. You like saving money. Oh, we love saving money. And so, nod nutrition of the day. You get a three product special with execute. Oh, okay. So you can get a. Um, Extreme Endurance, Extreme Omega 1000, and then you get your Extreme Execute for the price of $87.89, saving you 15%. So on, on Extreme Endurance, they do have a couple of these specials, these nod specials with different um, product combos, but you know, we always like saving money. Use the promo code IAMTALK5 and you get five bucks off, and just uh, we're, here to, we're here to save you some money today. So basically, it's a bit of a package where you can get a few products together, and you get a bit of a deal within that. Mm. Put that code on top of it. Bob's yeah. your uncle. Bob's your uncle. You can get recurring delivery if you need to. And we're just we're here to save you some money. So I use um, all the three of those products. So you got your Extreme Endurance, um, just to save your muscles, um, buffy your lactate. Um, you execute there. I usually use that just as a recovery product for, for some of my really, either my really long sessions or some of my really um, hard sessions. Delicious chocolate flavor. I, don't, I haven't tried the vanilla yet. I love the chocolate. But you're just, addicted to the chocolate, just eh? like a chocolate milkshake. And it's not crunchy. Uh, just like, <laughs> nice. Uh, and then uh, the Omega 1000 for all your good fish oils. So. Do you know what? I never have, um, what are they called? Those chocolate milkshake, Cocoa, Cocoa Pops. Pops. I never have them, but geez, I love them. Cocoa Pops. Oh, this, no, like a, no good comes from it. So it's back for you guys overseas. It's, it does not fit in with any of the nutritional It's um, basically it's rice going. bubbles right. with chocolate. Yeah, rice bubbles with chocolate. And then the, the catchphrase on the, the TV adverts was just like a chocolate milkshake, only crunchy. And it's so good. <laughs> But not good for you. So give it to kids. You're gonna have the next few hours. It's gonna be like a rocket. Check out X Endurance, and then we have um, one clip here from uh, Matthew Russell, and he's giving some tips, and they were they were they were top quality tips. There so we go. Just uh, bear with me. What's happening in your life, Bevan? We got we got nine minutes till we go into our interview. Um, I'm just looking at this. Who's writing on? Have we won the cricket yet? Oh. Professional triathlete, and I'm here to bring you a training tip. One training tip that I do every single night is um, set my Timex watch to go off at 8.30 at night every single night. And what that does, it does uh, three things for me. 
So the first thing is, uh, it reminds me to take my extreme endurance. Good. The second thing it does is it reminds me to stretch and roll. And then the last thing is it gets me ready for bed. Uh -huh. training. I thought he was going to say it's ready for loving. Oh, you know, the third thing is time for loving. <laughs> loving. So <laughs> if you forget to take your extreme endurance, set your alarm like Matthew Russell and do your stretching at the same time. And maybe even think about doing some loving. Okay, uh, discussion of the week. Okay, so over the last few months, we guys, we've been giving you guys lots and lots of nicknames and when you were supporting us for our Kona coverage. So we thought, what about we turn the tables and you guys get to ask us or give us nicknames? And uh, and I said, be kind. There were a couple not so kind ones. Oh, most of them pretty good. Most of them pretty good. There were a quite, quite a few uh, Chewbacca references um, okay, towards me. Or we had. Uh, you go first because I'm pulling it up. So am I. Okay, here we go. I've got it. So we've got Bevan, one more question, Isles. Mm -hmm. John Cheswig Newsom. Yeah. And that was from Ross Welton. Ben Shaw. John, the Kiwi Tsunami Newsome. The Kiwi Tsunami, nice. Even the Inspira, Inspiration Isles. Okay, we've got Stephen Morris. He's got John. If you don't like the show, you can blow me some reference to an audio clip from the past episode in 2007. Uh, and Bevan from the band Isles. Gary Cochran, Bevan, the Interrupter Isles. <laughs> Never. Never knowingly lets John finish a sentence. John, the patient one, Newsome. Oh, whatever. Never knowingly please, uh, phased by constant interruptions worthy of a prolonged three-year planner. You know what? I'm, I definitely interrupt, but you're hardly patient. <laughs> okay. Um, Tim, Tim Jones, Bevan Hansel Isles, as in male model from Zoolander. And then uh, John... Swimskin Newsom, pioneering work in the field of cycling aerodynamics. We had a few similar to what Tony Hodge has got here with regards to me. John, check, don't check me, Newsom, and Bevan, rockstar James Isles. The Merkin Factory, what does that mean, John? I'm not sure. No, John, the Merkin Factory, Newsom, there was Rob um, Applin. Craig Brighthouse has got Bevan special needs, Isles. <laughs> and John, Fleet Veet. Newsom? Not is that reference into the, the Veet, like the, uh, you get Veet, which is, it's like a product you put on your legs for your hair to drop off. Oh, yeah, I think Could you're right. Could be something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, um, Who do we have there that I was just looking at? Ed Hawkins, John the Wookie Newsom, and Bevan James the Energizer Bunny Isles. We've got uh, Ma Mandy Tower, Taolu, I say. Uh, John Blender Newsom and Bevan Big Spend Isles. Done. There's an irony in that Try Man Jack, John, I don't get Chick Newsome and Bevan James, Good Times, Rock and Roll Isles. Oh, nice. We've got old Neil Colts. He's got Bevan Sav Sucker. Shouldn't it be Newsome the Sav Sucker? That was your call. Yeah, Sucker the Sav. And then John Blender Killer Newsome. Tim Jones, last one I'll do is also thinking John Nelson Newsome for his new role as ambassador of the Nelson Triathlon Club. Um, and then I'll just go Ben Shure and it's um, no, I've done that one I have you okay um, Tony Hodge done that one oh. Nick Jonesy BJ DJ Josie I think it's Josie Josie okay and then uh, best version of Miles or Swim Skin Newsom I think I'm going to take the Kiwi Tsunami you like that yeah I'm going to take the interrupter. Yeah. I, I know what I am. I own it. Okay, so this week's discussion. So we got a, good, got a really good email actually through from some observant person. And this is Mike Threadgold. And he's got, I was chatting to a work colleague who had been to Kona in 2012 and as a part of their first year of Kona Inspired. So they must have maybe won. How did Kona Inspired work? I think you 
I think you either submitted your story or other people submitted your story and then I think people voted on it. So I think they had X number of slots. Maybe it was... I think it was like six. Six, something like that. And then they basically followed their story and and sort of inspirational stuff to to inspire people to come. I think the idea was, you know, they know that, you know, the sob story works or or the telling of the story works. And so the idea was let's get the public telling their stories and and maybe Mm. use it as a promotional tool. But they both realised, go back to Mike's email, that uh, it has disappeared this year. So it only ran for two years. I suspect there are a number of reasons for that. Just found it interesting that it seems to have been cancelled without any announcement from WTC. so I went and checked out the site, and yeah, definitely they haven't. I couldn't pushed see it all this year. either. Yeah, like it's still there, mm. and all last year's winners are there and stuff. But I, I kind of think maybe they're going to push the the Kona Legacy a lot more, and that sort of might be the filling that spot. Uh, no, but it's a different product because when you think of Legacy, Legacy is rewarding mm. long term athletes. Mm. The Aspire program, Inspire program, was more the great story. Mm. They do that anyway, don't they? Yeah, but the great story was, well, I think what they were aiming to do with the Inspire program was for every, just to get more exposure with that because if I put all the effort to put the story and then I'm going to show my friends Mm. instead of just hoping that people saw it in the the TV coverage. I'm not Mm. sure, but obviously they're not continuing on. So this week's discussion was what inspired you to do Iron Man and what does the sport do to continue to inspire you now? So that's what we want to hear, your story. Hmm. We're going to call it Iron Talk Inspire. And what I didn't, maybe I didn't copy it in there. And we like bullet points. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I like bullet points. So if you're going to write a book on, on, on give us bullet points on Facebook. <laughs> I like bullet points. Yeah. I'm going to get you a t-shirt. Just I like us, bullet points. Just keep bullet points. Just I'm get you some get, t-shirt. Get to, the, get to the point. Okay, John. We do want to hear your story, but we just want you to get to the point. Well, you've John, you can't say tell us your story and then put it in two sentences. Yes, you can. Okay. We'll Summarise. You've, you've opened the door here. Okay, guys, we're going to put an interview on. We've got, who is it? Jane Hunt from Australia, and she's done an amazing work with this amazing book, so let's put her on right now. Okay, on uh, this week's show, very happy to have uh, Dr. Jane Hunt. She's going to be a hell of a lot smarter than us guys, which is not particularly hard, and she's a professor, assistant professor of Australian studies uh, in uh, Bond University in Australia. And the reason we've got her on, as we said earlier in the show, is... We've got this bloody impressive book in front oh, of man, us. Oh man, it's amazing. <laughs> Multi-sport Dreaming, The Foundations of Triathlon in Australia. And Jane was the author and um, collator of this book. So welcome along to the show, Jane. Thank you very much. What, I guess firstly, what, um, you know, we've got our Legends of Triathlon show and that's our sort of small part of trying to help the history of the sport a little bit. What, what was your inspiration to, to actually do this book or was it part of your study? What was the deal? Uh, well, first of all, I'm just an average age grouper and uh, I learned that I had the capacity to swim 3.8 kilometres, I had the capacity to ride 180 kilometres and so on, uh, do a full Ironman and it made me feel superhuman. You know, I got that, that, I got that rush when I crossed the finish line when I did Ironman in 2007 and, and you know, that uh, sort of cemented my, my passion for the sport, I suppose. So I was just a, an, an average age grouper, um, uh, but I was a cultural historian writing, writing about something else that I was completely bored with. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew I was only writing for about 100 professors around the world. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I want to write about something that I'm passionate about. I'd said that to my husband one evening and he said, well, why don't you write about triathlon? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I loved the idea. But I thought, well, you know, there's a lot of other people out there who know more about triathlon than me. Uh, Am I the right person to do it? But what I discovered was that um, a lot of people had tried to do something to get together the history of the sport. 
but um, I was qualified to do it and I had those, therefore learned those skills of, about how to do that. And um, everyone I asked uh, encouraged me. So mm. <laughs> that was that. And, and so in terms of the, the book, is it, was it, is it uh, uh, you know, are you going out there to, to make a, a business out of this or is it part of your study or what was the sort of the outcome of it? There is absolutely no commercial gain out of this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't. I don't know if we'll even break even at any point in time. Uh, yeah. But um, it, it, I, I suppose it, it will assist my my career as a um, as a cultural uh, historian. Yeah. Um, but I, that isn't really enough to sustain it on its own. That's probably what um, what contributed to me setting out on this. Yeah. Um, uh, after a while, uh, I had this feeling of inevitability. It's just, uh, if I didn't finish it, people were going to bother me until I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, th- and I am the sort of person who I'm just doggedly determined and, and, um, my husband supported me all the way and, and, um, Bond supported me. And so all the obstacles were, were, uh, removed. The only thing I had to do was just get to the finish and get the book out. So, um, yeah, it, was, it certainly is not a commercial venture. <laughs> when, when, you know, obviously your history and your kind of academic career is around this area, you know, when you, when you think to start to take on an endeavour like this, which, you know, when you guys, you know, A, you should get the book if you're listening, but, but B, you know, how, how do you approach this? Because it's, there's obviously so much information here. Like, what, what's the start point on a project like this? Um, you open the floodgates. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I suppose you know when you do a PhD, and as you you educate other people how to do it, you you learn, you gain by experience. Um, but at the same time, no, I've never you know put together the history of a sport before, so it certainly was a, a new experience in a way. Um, I literally had just started talking to people, interviewing people. Um, I when I interviewed people initially, I did a lot of research trips. I went out and visited people, and everyone just gave me. I it was actually a lot easier to research in a way because um, instead of having to go and find things, people were literally throwing things at me. Oh, really? uh, yeah, I came home from Melbourne one time with 30 kilograms of extra luggage. <laughs> um, and I arrived with about 25 minutes to spare um, at the airport and I, I just looked so desperate. I think the girl said, oh, look, just you know, give me some cash and I'll put it on. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that, that, um, in terms of the research and actually accessing the material, it was actually quite easy most of the time to – I had too much, if anything. I had – there was more than enough research and more than enough – for me to draw on. Um, so the hard part was really actually creating an order. And I have to say that I had a few false starts. I had a couple of times when I, uh, you know, wrote a few chapters and then basically ditched them and tried again. Um, but I did have an underlying idea and um, it was just a matter of figuring out the best way to achieve that underlying idea. So I, I guess you could have just gone chronologically, just worked your way through. And it looks like there's a little bit of a theme of that. I mean, yeah. We, what was your? Did, did that come sort of into you? Like, go right. This is the this, the the eighties and nineties, the, the two thousand to two thousand ten, and and then sort of the current era. How did you sort of come up with the the system that you did end up with at the end? Yeah, I uh, I did try initially a, a periodization. Uh, I tried to call one period um the the foundational period and the other period. Um, the 90s, a period of consolidation or confidence or whatever. But I felt, found that that actually didn't work. Um, and as a cultural historian, oftentimes you do 
let go of those structures of time and you focus more on the types of experiences that you're you're describing and 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 um, and also layering it with different experiences. So in the end, I thought it was better to identify those different parts of the sports and how they evolved. Uh, so I did start with a bit of a chronology, uh, just so that the story in, there is some continuity in the story. Uh, but um, I found that at the end of the 1980s, early 1990s, that's a point where. Uh, you see the different arms of the sport actually uh, appear more distinctly from that period onwards. So there is a sense of chronology, but in the long run I was looking at those different parts of the sport, the, the age group of the elite and the Ironman, um, and uh, rather than just simply going through, and this year this happened and this year that happened, which I thought didn't actually describe those experiences so well. Can I, can I ask, you know, because academic world, uh, there's, there's a style of writing that you have to do, which is very much within the boundaries that you have to stay within the academic world. And, and, and you can sometimes see academic people write, you know, books that kind of don't adapt that well to the general public because they don't have that ability to cross over with the way they write. Was that a challenge for you in writing this? Because I haven't had a chance to read it. I'm sure it's great. But was the getting that mix of, you know, doing what a good doctorate should do, but also doing a book that is an entertaining read for the end user? Yeah, uh, certainly that's one of the challenges that I um, uh, had to, to face. I've never been, I've always been uh, fairly focused on detail and accuracy and I felt that for a book like this that that was a necessity, whether it was for the general public or not, yep. that it was a necessity to try to get to the roots of the stories that I was hearing and actually document um, as well as I could um, uh, any claims that I, I um, took on board from other people. So there was an element of the uh, academic side that I, I wasn't prepared to to drop. Uh, what I tried to do to <clears throat> uh, I never excuse me sorry <clears throat> I never put too much theory into my writing directly anyhow, and I certainly didn't want to do that in this, and I didn't. Um, what I did try to do to make it a, a book that was accessible for the general public was to weave into it a whole lot of anecdotes. So, um, you know, there might be a serious story about the foundation of the ITU or, or um, uh, in Chapter 4 I talk about sort of the identification of different groups of athletes like novices and women and so on. But I throw into that um, little anecdotes that people told me or that I read along the way about a guy who went to, for example, to an all-women's uh, triathlon and dressed up as a woman and explaining <laughs> that he was um, on steroids or something. <laughs> and then eventually they figured out, oh, no, he's just got, uh, you know, he's... he's <laughs> what a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there were lots of jovial things that, that were said about it. And, you know, another sort of a little anecdote uh, when I was writing about, again, about women um, uh, and there was an effort to try to encourage women and one very kindly gentleman wrote into a, um, uh, the Victorian newsletter and he sort of said, oh, thank God for, for little pretty girls or something like that. What's the song? Um, thank heaven for little girls. And he used that to try to encourage women. And, <laughs> um, you know, so I, whenever I came across those little um, quite funny uh, or striking uh, anecdotes or, or stories in what I was reading, I tried to weave that into it so that it's not just – you know, a matter of um, uh, describing uh, uh, in technical terms or, or detail what's happening, but also the human side of it. Uh, the very fact that I interviewed nearly 300 people is, was for that reason, and there's a lot more people that I could have interviewed and many more stories I could have put in there, but I really tried to make it a rich, uh, layered sort of uh, reading rather than a dry academic reading. 
So was that a challenge? Because in Australia, for, for, for people who are a bit newer to the sport, sort of through the 90s, especially at um, short course, which Ironman was not what it was today in the 90s. And, and in, I don't know, from a Kiwi's perspective, it was all about Olympic distance and, and we saw huge coverage of Australians. They just absolutely killing everybody you'd go to a world cup race and you know you have six of the top 10 would be australians and um so was it a challenge for you um to decide who potentially not to interview and and how did you decide who and who you wouldn't talk to (laughs) i i i did try to talk to everyone if i missed someone it was literally uh because we didn't have that our times didn't match up or anything like that i i i tried to be as unselective as I could. Uh, I mean, I, I, I talked to people in the in the sport or contacted people who, uh, you know, uh, might have controversy surrounding them and so on. And literally, if there was someone I didn't speak to, it was just because uh, it didn't work out trying to catch up with them and I ran out of time and I just went with what I had. Um, I, I tried as much as possible to bring those those personal perspectives in. Uh, the way I use the individual perspective is is just to say, you know, this is how this person experienced it. Not not who was right and who was wrong, but this is how this person experienced it and this is how this person experienced it. And so we have, in the long run, all these different perspectives on the same race or on the same event or this, um, the same <coughs> outcomes, you know. What, what, what were some of the maybe challenging aspects of putting this together that you didn't foresee as you led into it? Uh, one of the biggest challenges that I faced, it wasn't the only one, but it floored me for about two weeks. I walked around with my knuckles on the ground, (laughs) um, was, uh, I contacted WTC to get permission to include, uh, a cover of an early, uh, Ironman Hawaii, Ironman, Ironman Hawaii, uh, program. And they said, sure, no problem, no cost. You're welcome to include it and include this, um, this, um, caption this in your caption to acknowledge that that's from us um, but then they said and please also observe the following guidelines and you know what the um, <laughs> Iron Man guidelines are like <laughs> um, yeah. but the guidelines uh, do not allow for uh, historical variation in the usage of the term Iron Man and so I thought well I can't turn around and have someone who says I wanted to be an Iron Man and put Iron Man trademark triathlete yeah <laughs> yeah. You know, I can't turn around and rename an event that was named as an Ironman or a double Ironman or a mini Ironman yeah. um, uh, just because of the Ironman branding. So yeah. I came up with a strategy um, where wherever I was referring to current events, um, I would use the branding as, as you know, uh, as, as the guidelines said. Uh, if I was re- drawing on historical sources, then I would use it the way that um, those sources uh, used the term uh, mm-hmm. Ironman. And then just simply um, uh, put in a footnote and uh, with a reference to the place where it was used in that way. Mm. And I also used it um, as an adjective, which is what they say to do, um, to describe a variety of other things that were not things that I was trying to brand as Iron Man, but rather describe as a product of the Iron Man lifestyle. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I put all that in a very big email to the um, probably overworked legal department at WTC. Um, and they basically replied and said, um, we don't have time to go through all this. Just do your best. Uh, nice. <laughs> so there was a bit of an out. 
<laughs> yes. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I'm pretty scrupulous and I, I, I did my best to follow what I said I would do. So uh, hopefully it's all good. <laughs> Bevan asked me a question earlier in the show, and, and you can probably answer this better than I, in terms of um, you know, the his- history between WTC and Ironman. And obviously all of our conversation here is referring to, to Australia, but... Um, uh, no, WTC and, and ITU and, and I guess Triathlon Australia. In your research, was there was there much of a clash between WTC and Triathlon Australia and, and the ITU, or have they sort of got along okay in Australia? Uh-huh. Um, no, there there are definitely moments when there are not necessarily well, yeah, there were some differences. Uh, it, it was tricky because, of course, at the international level, you have um, uh, some very sort of uh, awkward moments. Uh, and I think uh, it, in Australia, uh, I do think the Triathlon Australia attempted to um, moderate the, the the impacts, I suppose. At the same time, Triathlon Australia in the 1990s, as you said, was all about the Olympics and um, short course racing and ITU racing um, and... Uh, I do, in my chapter on Ironman, I talk about, um, I, I call, there's a section that I, I call In the Shadows. And certainly Ironman racing was in the shadows during that period in time, both in, t- in terms of um, TA funding um, and in terms of uh, public uh, media attention and, and official attention. Um, but there weren't so many clashes, I would say, at the Australian, Australian level. I do contextualise all of that in the international uh, level uh, of um, uh, in particular, the court case, the U.S. court case in 1997, um, when um, uh, uh, Nick Munting actually proclaimed after that was all kind of resolved, he sort of he said, um, uh, "Officially, now Ironman can be a sport," uh, and uh, that I think actually did have some uh, impact on what happened then with Ironman in Australia and the the evolution of the half Ironman qualifier series and what and was the that court case all about we don't I don't really know about that oh okay um, I, I have to remember all the details but uh, briefly uh, USAT um, uh, the the ITU uh, asked USAT to put some very limiting conditions on Ironman. Um, uh, so that it could be brought into line with uh, the sort of official ITU um, uh-huh. set um, uh, um, sport, you know, and um, and uh, there was great discomfort in at, at USAT and of course um, with WTC about this, uh, and they were supposed to basically um, uh, USAT was told, well, if you don't if you don't bring them into line with us. Then um, there were some specific requests. I can't. I can't remember what those specific requests were. Yeah. But if you don't bring them into line with us, then we will. Um, then then your athletes won't be recognised either. Um, and and there was a bit of heavy handedness there. Um, yeah. I wish I could remember the full details of yeah. it. It was uh, the, the where when I read about that and when I. Um, there's there's a thesis where there's some more detail about that, um, but it was a uh, very complicated uh, to in and fro of the conversations around all of that. But there was there was definitely uh, if you go to chapter nine, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. read the book, John. Read the book. <laughs> that's right. Oh uh, no, that's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look into that in a bit more. So um, obviously you you will have got some amazing <laughs> stories you know come out of this from 
from I suppose if we if we focus firstly on on some of the the pro athletes and my God there's been so many good athletes that have come out of Australia you know Craig Alexander and currently you know, Marinda Carfrey Maka um, and and, and oh, millions goodness. of champions yeah. before that Emma Carney McKaylee Jones um, what what are some of the the stories from from perhaps some of the pro athletes that, that really stood out that you know, maybe people don't know about or just some of the, the real highlights for you uh, I can't I actually have um, Chapter 5, really, uh, the story that's in Chapter 5, uh, I can't go past it. It's one of the – it's just like a, a comedy movie or something. <laughs> um, the very first national tour that um, uh, in 1989 when the first ITU uh, World Championships were held at Avignon, um, the uh, Triathlon Australia basically you know, took a team across, but there was no funding for a start. So a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the national tour as such was um, funded um, by the uh, Triathlon Australia president's uh, credit card. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and he, that was never paid back. Um, mm. They also had you know organised homestays and things like that. But it, it basically the the only person, the only other person who had a credit card was Greg Welch, mm. um, and uh, literally uh, they lived off their winnings. So they they were racing to win cash just to pay for food for the next week. Wow. Uh, we had a very small team of of athletes who. Um, they didn't have the usual selection process, but there were some issues with the selection anyhow. But on the team, there was Greg Welch, Brad Bevan, um, Miles Stewart, Spot Anderson, uh, Nick Croft. Oh, I hope I'm not forgetting anyone. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let you off if you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the sixth person of, the, of that team was actually filled in by an age grouper because um, – uh, for various reasons, it was all very last minute, and 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 the sixth person member of the team, which I think was Tim Bentley, said that he couldn't make it because of the finances, mm. and um, they ended up filling in that spot with someone else. So you had those those four guys. Um, Miles Stewart went to the USA before um, Avignon, and he um, he established himself there. He he won a, a, a USTS race there, and he was 18 years old, mm. and he won ahead of you know Mike Pig, and 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 he everyone was just astounded at this this young 18-year-old Australian who, who just showed so much talent. The other four guys and two girls, uh, Louise uh, McKinley, or she was Bonham then, Louise Bonham, and Sue Turner, uh, travelled around Europe and they went did a race in uh, Macon in um, uh, 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 somewhere else and then in Munich. Uh, but their trips around Europe, were like it was like a, a combination of a a, um, a road trip movie, like an American high school road trip movie, and um, and the, the Griswolds. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they 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 flew to Paris. They got off the train, uh, the plane at uh, Paris, and then they looked at how much luggage they had, and they had thirty five pieces of luggage. <laughs> they had to get thirty five pieces of luggage onto the train uh, into Metropolitan uh, Paris to catch another train, and trying to get the luggage off. They were like just throwing pieces of luggage, you know there's bikes and there's wheels and there's everything just literally being thrown onto the platform then they couldn't actually go on the plane that they'd booked uh, on the train that they'd booked in Paris because um there was too much luggage and they were, um so some of them went on the train and then three of them uh Brad Bevan, Greg Welch and, and Nick Croft were left to take 35 pieces of luggage down to Macon um and uh they weren't allowed to go on the slow train either uh so they hired a truck and um, they were also tired. It had been 48 hours since they'd left Sydney and no one had slept. Um, 
And uh, basically when they were driving the truck, they were also sleepy that whoever um, Nick Croft was driving the truck, he fell asleep as well. Oh, no. <laughs> truck went off the road and veered into the middle of the highway and they, they were fine. Nothing actually happened. There was no damage to anything. But, you know, the whole the whole trip was like that. It was just, uh, you know, there were injuries, there were accidents. There was all this kind of like hope and this expectation. Well, not expectation. No one knew how good they were going to be. And that's what I, I love about the story as well is that no one knew how good they actually were internationally and this was like the coming of age the beginning of the, of the realization that that these Australians if at least if not other Australians too um, actually were very talented and had the capacity to to mix it at the international level so it's like a combination of, of things those personal characters and also that that Australian coming of age sort of story it's kind of like the matrix um, moments isn't it at yes. the end of the matrix you know where you finally discover your belief yeah, well, th- that's exactly what it was. You know, th- there's, um, in fact, uh, in, in during that trip, uh, um, uh, uh, Jeff Foss turned around to Greg Welch and he said, you know, you have the capacity to become a world champion. He actually had a terrible race at the world championships at Avignon and, and, and it was just like uh, that, that moment of, oh, no, that was just all talk, I don't have it. But then, you know, he, he, uh, he came third at uh, Ironman Hawaii in just a few months later, and he went, maybe I can do this. And then, of course, he went on to become the legend that he is. Um, and so that was really the moment sort of like the, that inspired him. And then 1990, when they went to America, uh, Greg Welch and Brad Bevan and so on, that was sort of that cemented it. That was like, yes, we we can do this. So exactly, it's finding out the powers that they had and actually finding out that, yes, they could actually win at the international level and um, they were that good. Wow. I'm totally lost what I was about to say. Then, um, in terms of uh, in terms of any other stories outside of maybe the pros, that I guess some of the, the potentially the watershed moments for for the sport in Australia is is it, was there any um, real couple of key moments that, that that stood out that really helped shape the sport or or potentially derailed the sport a little bit? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say, uh, I mentioned before that I, I feel that the period at the end of the 1980s and the start of the 1990s, the same period actually when um, the elites began to realise that, that they were uh, world class, around that same period in time you also have, uh, I would say, a growing sense of community, an actual sense of a national triathlon community um, that has emerged partly because um, uh, you have triathlon magazines that are communicating uh, uh, information and uh, opinions all around Australia. You have a national circuit where not just um, not just the uh, what became the elites, but also the age groupers were all competing against each other. And you know, such and such in Queensland knew about such and such in South Australia because they were all on the same point score and so on. So the national tour. Um, helped create a sense of national community as well. And uh, at Ironman Australia in, oh, got to remember which year it was now, I think it was 1989 um, and a little bit in 1990, um, but in particular in 1989, there was this sense of the people who won, uh, um, you know, Louise uh, Bonham and um, uh, oh, Sattler, Yep. I'm pretty sure that was Tony yeah. Sapp that year. Yeah. Um, when they won, they broke records. And um, at the at the presentation night, there was this real celebration of a sense of, uh, you know, uh, it was also in the midst of that time when the um, 
Uh, there's a growing sense of the, the ITU was being established and, and this sense of a precipice of like, here's the national community. Uh, you know, we have a sport that's well established. It's becoming an international sport. We're beginning the mission to get into the Olympics. Here are our national champions. They're smashing records all over the place. They're comparing times to people around the world. Uh, and it seemed at that, uh, to me, that's almost a watershed moment when there's a sense of, of a national community. But then from that point onwards, you have um, differentiation between the short course and Olympic triathlon, the ITU triathlon, um, the Ironman triathlon, and also the age groupers. There's also a lot of debate around this point in time about that separ- that naming people as elites um, and who's a professional and who's an age grouper. And um, this this culminated when the Formula One was a triathlon Grand Prix was established in um, uh, first announced in 1993 and there were very, very, very good age groupers who mixed it with professionals and they said, well, what about me? Um, and so those, those few years is, is like the, 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 the period in time when you begin to see the three arms of the sport consolidate into three separate arms of the sport. It's bloody impressive. Oh, it's, yeah. It's a great book. Seriously, so. we, could, we could talk to you for hours. And, guys, if you're listening right now, and first of all, if you're an Australian, it's a no-brainer. Just buy the book. So the website is multisportdreaming.com, and you can buy the book there. It's $54 or $55 Australian. And it's – seriously, it's just – she's done – and, Matt, you, you've just killed it. Because a lot of the stuff um, – when I do my research for, for our Legends show, you know, it's bloody hard to find information And uh, before the internet was uh, was created, and this book does a lot of that. So you got four, four words in there from Greg Welsh, Craig Alexander, Jackie um, Fairweather, who was previously Jackie Gallagher. Um, I guess, Jane, is there anything else that you want to sort of share about the book, That you know, any points you really want to get across? I think there's something in this book for everyone. Uh, I guess I'm going to say that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, sort of, you're flicking through it. There's there's bits that you can dive into and just read this bit or that bit, or there's um, there's the whole big broad story as well. One thing I do want to say is, you know, as as you can appreciate, there's a lot that's in there. Uh, there are uh, individuals and events and so on who could have easily been in that book as well. I just. Uh, I had to. I had to at some point in time say that's enough, mm. um, and I have to say I still have these pangs of kind of not guilt, but I um, I feel when I'm talking to someone whose story I know could have been in the book, I, I feel really bad that it's not. Um, but it's not. It's not that I I sort of said uh, uh, to myself, oh, that person doesn't cut it. Every person's uh, story, every individual story is part of this broader story. But, you know, I just couldn't simply say, you know, mention every name. Otherwise, it would have been just a list of names and a list of um, events um, and a list of results. Uh, So I want to say to all those people out there um, whose name they don't see in the book that in some way or another you are kind of implied in it. It's just that I couldn't literally fit everyone in. I think the thing about the book is it's actually a really important document because I I imagine a lot of the information you've got, like the photos you've got and and all the information you've got, this stuff just gets lost, Mm. you know, and and it's in someone's cupboard somewhere and eventually, you know, that person passes away and it just kind of the family comes out and throws it away and it's like, you know, it's actually a really important document for the history of the sport and, you know, this is a, a book that will, you know, hold its place forever really, won't it? 
It, it will do. I um, certainly hope that other people come along and have their go at it as well. Um, uh, this is a starting point. And I actually say that in the last sentence in my introduction is not, this is not the final word, this is the first word. Um, and, and I hope to see more people sort of adding their, their, their story to this collective understanding of the sports past. Um, certainly I've attempted to gather together um, results, important results, uh, but there are other results as well. I couldn't get a comprehensive list of um, age group world champions together, Ironman or ITU. Yep. Um, I'm still working on that. That's a, a result, um, a list of results I would have liked to have in there as well. But yes, this is, this is um, you know, the go-to document um, uh, that is the starting point, I hope, for a much better understanding of our sports history, both in terms of Australia and internationally as well. So obviously the Aussies can get it through through your website, um, but if anybody else around the world wants to get it, is is that an option at this stage? Or um, I guess, I guess that- yeah, outside of the website, where else can people get it? <laughs> I can... Um, I uh, will be making it a, a valid, well, again, this is Australian to bookshops. Uh, the, the, the website is the, the online, um, uh, you can purchase it online. So And it does uh, ship internationally? Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Um, okay. If there's, if there's any, um, uh, uh, I'm... I'm talking to different people as well, so I'm trying to sort of find um, other ways to get it out there, but yeah. it does ship internationally, mm. um, and I'm trying to find other ways to sort of address that and see if we can um, um, make that easier. But uh, it's, it's so far I've had quite a few people buy it internationally, and there doesn't seem to have been any issues. So, so guys, like, seriously, John and I can't recommend this book enough, and you know, we're, we're Kiwis, at least Australians, but Australians. at the same time, it's like even just if you love triathlon, it's just such a detailed – you look back at it and there's just so much information and it, again it's a beautifully made book so you can have it on your coffee table and just kind of work your way through it or nut it out at one time but it's guys get with, on with, with a cup of coffee of Hawaii on the there side there you go look there at that go. awesome Jane well thanks for your time and uh, we, we look forward to the foundations of triathlon in New Zealand coming out sometime <laughs> <Yeah>. soon <laughs> I was going to say actually New Zealand's got a great story too <laughs> <laughs> awesome oh, well, thanks very much for your time thank you, thank you. Jombu we up we are indeed. Jeez, that's, that's, a, that's a good effort, isn't it? It's a solid book. It really is, guys. And, and I know we kind of kind of harped on about it in the interview, but it's a good investment. Mm. It really is. It, you can just... Nice just pictures. Done, oh, just the amount of depth. Mm. So check it out. What was the website again, John? Multisport Dreaming or something? I'll yep. put a link to that on www.iamtalk.me and uh, you guys can go and get it because, again, it's a really good book. Jombos... Sponsor. Raynerroad.com. We've, uh, we're in the final stages of our 125% test, and I noticed somebody didn't turn up to my place on yeah, Friday. Yeah, so somebody else hasn't done it. But Bobby Brace is currently crushing the field. Oh, really? Having held the, his 125% for around about seven minutes. We've had a few more contributors in there. Good old uh, Jonathan Lee, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, he gave it a crack, and I'm just pulling up his file now. He's, uh, he went from 18, about 18, 50, 19 minutes to... About 23 and a half, so about four and a half minutes, solid effort. So your benchmark is out there. I think Bobby Brace has got there at about sort of seven minutes or so. Um, if you can get above four minutes, I think you're doing pretty well, and we will announce the winners next week. We also had a question in this week from Robin Trotman, was looking into how I can... Um, 
post a question for the show. I'm an avid trainer road user. Good on you. And I'm happy that y'all endorsing it. Y'all. Hey, y'all. <laughs> I create my own workouts based on upcoming races. You can also build the course or at least plan for power and love the, love to pair it with the Sufferfest videos. So that's another thing you guys are doing can do with trainer road is uh, – you know, the, the interaction can be taken to a whole new level where you can actually be following a Sufferfest video and you're going up and down hills and that's incorporated into the trainer road file so you will effectively be going up and down hills as well. So That's pretty really cool. You don't cool. have to think about it. That's what's cool nowadays. Is back in the old days, you know, if you want to do something yeah. like that, you're controlling it yourself. You know, you got to watch the screen, and if the screen, if the guy, the riders on the screen are attacking, then you attack, and the and the the, the, the trainer road file is going to make it harder for you as well. So um, he loves the rubber glove test. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not even go there. Um, so in the spirit of all the trainer talk and specifically as it relates to my FTP, my question is this. When you do your FTP test, I do mine about every six weeks in a build-up, uh, so I do about three week, and he does about three-week periods, and you do it on the trainer, do you do so on the aero bars or seated upright? It really, mat- it really matters when you try to um, extrapolate to a race. For instance, I can generate a higher average power or normalised power sitting up on a trainer for 20 minutes than I can down in aero the way that I'll be racing and looking at VO2 max power it's not even close then if you collect all this data and try to figure out power zones for a flat course when you're aero you're likely to explode I understand how how the road and train um, power numbers are different as per Joe Friel's book so this is that straightforward so my thought is that depends on where you are what you're looking for if you want to get a number to find zones then prepare for a race and test and train in the same position but if you're looking for straight uh, physiological progress adaptations then be consistent and do it the same then finally if you're wanting to brag about to your to your friends um, sit up breathe and generate the biggest number you can although it may be useless in your training curious as to your thoughts i think you've kind of almost <laughs> answered all your questions there already you're a genius. Robin. you're an absolute genius so one thing i would say is um for y'all out there is uh as Robin has pointed out, you do need to have your trainer zones and your road zones separately. So the, the great thing about using trainer road and doing trainer road tests and uh, when, you're, when you're indoors is that consistency is, is there and it's the same every time. So you can basically go, right, I'm doing a 20-minute TT. I'm going to use a trainer road uh, warm-up and, and, and test and that's just the same every time. You can do exactly the same cadence um, and it's just easy to replicate. Whereas when you go out on the road, a, conditions are going to ha- play havoc with you and then you, you know, you've got to be changing your gears a bit more and you just can't get that exact um, number or you can't find the right gear, whereas on the trainer um, you can do that. So in terms of benchmarking and physiological testing, then this is the best way to be doing it. But those numbers do not necessarily cross over directly to the road. So as Robin pointed out, if you're just looking to do, say, a bike block, then using Trainer Road is a perfect way of doing it and actually assessing whether or not you're making any progress in terms of um, moving your FTP or moving your VO2 max or whatever you're trying to achieve, then doing it on the trainer is the way to go. Whether or not you do it on the bars or um, sitting up, it doesn't really matter, as I think, as you pointed out, as long as it's consistent. But I think the main point, as, as I think Robin made, was then when you're going out and you're looking to set your zones for, for being out on the road, you need to do some road-based testing and you need to do it on your aero bars. So it's all about that simulation. We talk about it with nutrition as well. But in terms of setting your, your zones on the road, you need to do some road-based testing and you need to be really, the, the most key thing is to be looking at your results and your power files from your races in terms 
terms of if you're building up to an Ironman, you do some TTs, you do some aerobic TTs, so add Ironman effort, you look at your half Ironman results or Olympic results, and then from all that you need to extrapolate how you're going to set your zones for, for the race. And I guess my final point on um, setting of your zones is usually use those as... Um, yeah, I like to use them as numbers you don't want to go over. So you might move around a bit within your zone within a race, but rather than trying to stick to some exact particular number, I think you're far better off just saying, right, I'm not going to go above 240 watts, and if I'm a bit below that, then that's all cool, but I just don't want to go too hard and have some, some ceiling numbers rather than you know, necessarily having an exact number you want to sit at. My final point would be when you're testing on the trainer, um, if you're deciding whether to sit, sit on your bars or, or sit up, just do it consistently. But as Robin pointed out, if you're going to be doing like a four-minute test or some real maximal sort of test, you are going to generate a much bigger number, uh, not massively bigger, but a bigger number if you if you do sit up and you hold on to your bars. So some really good points there, Robin. I'm not sure if I totally answered them. I think I agreed with most of the stuff you were saying, but some, some good points for the listeners. So you can check all that out on trainerroad.com. Um, join up last week to get in the draw for doing the 125% test so Bevan last week for you to okay, come, I'll come do it this week I promise it. Friday lock right. it in Eddie lock it in lock Eddie it in. right <laughs> your time starts now check it out trainerroad.com 10 bucks a month no brainer no brainer do it Bevan your time starts now you've got 4 minutes and 59 seconds oh do you want it short no just just, just bullet, bullet, bullet point it I've got bullet get points it, but there's a few across. bullet points okay oh, I'm going to put some music on okay go for it go for it here we go Coaches Corner with Bevan. Well, here we go, here well, we go. Here we go. So a few weeks ago on the show, John and I were talking a little, I was kind of chucked out this, this discussion and John said, well, how about you do a Coaches Corner on that? And um, me being, you know, the guy who always does all the work behind the scenes on the yeah, show, yeah. you know, I thought, yeah, I can do that. And so uh, yesterday I sat down for about 20 minutes and put this together. And so, <laughs> a whole 20. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so let's hear I go. So first of all. What's the topic? Uh, the topic is dealing with mental fatigue in racing. And really, in the last few years, there's been a lot of kind of studies coming out just kind of proving that the mind is like a muscle and that basically like a muscle, a bicep, you know, if you just start doing a bicep curl at a, at a medium-sized weight, that eventually the muscle is going to fatigue and it's no longer going to be able to function at yeah. the level you want it to. And there's been a lot of studies that come out and just proving how much that works for our mind as well, that our mind has a limited, what I'll call mind muscle, um, and being able to use when we're exercising and all everyday life. And there's been some really good studies. There's the, um, you know, there's the one where they did the jail study. Have you heard about the jail study? Where what they did is they got, um, they got four different crimes and four different ethnicities. And they're basically trying to see if the parole board would be biased towards a crime right. or an ethnicity. Yeah. So they got like an Indian who did a similar crime, so maybe a burglary, a, a European who did some fraud, um, some uh, African-American who did some kind of, low sexual assault, you know, similar yeah. assault, kind of like, and then another ethnicity, another crime. And I'm really fascinated to see what would be the outcome for the parole board based on the ethnicities or the crimes. Mm. And what happened was, at the end of the day, it had nothing, the way they gave the different um, outcomes of their parole meetings had nothing to do with ethnicity or the crime. Mm. And they and there was a big difference in the types of 
um, outcomes they had. So, for example, one person would, you know, if they went in to meet the parole board, they just always went, you know, and got went back to jail. Mm. And then another group, they would always get away. Or get, there was a big difference in variance in what was happening there. And what they discovered was the time of day you went in to have your meeting with the parole board had a bigger influence on if you would get out than ethnicity or the crime. Right. Yeah. And the th- they basically got to the conclusion: if you went at nine in the morning, your chances of going out of jail went down to like ten percent. Mm. If you went in at eleven thirty, it went up to seventy percent of staying back in jail. And what they determined was that the guys on the parole board just got really tired. Mm. And the more tired they got, the more they went with safe decisions. So, um, if, again, if you went at eleven thirty. You're, they were mentally fatigued and they were like we don't want to stuff up here let's just keep them in jail mm-hmm. whereas at 9 o'clock they're fresh they're mentally prepared and all the rest of it you got a much higher chance of getting off the interesting thing about the study was that post lunchtime it went back to the 9 o'clock mm. you know, amount of people getting off and so it was a real example of mental fatigue in your life and, and there's been quite a few studies that have come through around that kind of thinking that if we think about our mind energy we only have a limited capacity of it within our day. And Steve Magnus, the guy who does the science of running, he's brought out a book right. recently called The Science of Running, and I've just finished reading it. It's a really good book. And he talks about this a little bit within the book, talking about how what they did is they did some track sessions where they got, they measured, I'm not going to get this 100% accurate, but they measured you know, what would be the average and so on and where they would normally expect to do sessions. And then they did a session where they got them to do quizzes before they actually did their run sets, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and their performance dropped by a significant amount basically because they're mentally fatigued. So this kind of thinking has been a big influence on my life and the way I set up my life over, you know, in the last few years. And and I've always really tried to set up my timetable of my day and my week around when do I have great mental energy for the activities I'm doing. Now, what we know about life is that when we think about habits, excuse me, when we think about habits, habits don't cost much mental energy. You know, Mm -hmm. brushing your teeth, you don't have to think about it. So if we think about the things you do in your life, it's a habit, it's not going to come at a huge mental fatigue, if you know what I mean. The things that tend to cost us a lot of mental fatigue are new challenging, new tasks. Mm-hmm. So um, to areas where you're trying to evolve yourself or challenging tasks. So areas where you kind of have to put a lot more mental kind of energy into it. So for me, in my day, I really try to plan my day around when are my easy tasks and when are my more mentally challenging tasks. So, for example, playing piano is a more mentally challenging task for me because it's an area where I have to keep evolving and challenging myself to grow. Should we put the podcast at the end of the day? Yeah, no, this is not. This, <laughs> so, yeah, but this is not. So, this is definitely not something that's mentally challenging yeah. for me. It's very kind of easy. And so, when, oh, he's out. What, oh, did we win the game? We've won. Oh, good stuff. Walter Taylor out. Good stuff. We won the cricket. Okay, back to me, mate. Focus. <laughs> I always listen to you 100 yeah, percent yeah see he interrupts as well yeah so anyway so so I structure my life around what are my easy tasks what are my hard tasks so for example with my piano I know it's a more mentally challenging task so I I do piano after I've eaten and meditated in the afternoon mm-hmm. so I know that then I've got fresh mind space to do that task whereas some of the tasks I do in the morning I'll do my harder stuff early and then I'll do my easier yep. stuff later yep. so when we think about your life it's a really good thing to think about is what activities require more mental energy from me and then how do I structure my life around those things? So again, you know, what are the hard tasks, when do I put them in? And then the other thing on top of that is then how do I plan my, my the use of my energy so I get recharges throughout? So nutrition and rest strategies are a really important part of that. Good mm-hmm. sleep, first of all, is really important. But also if we're like me, having my meditation, mm-hmm. at lunchtime I'll stop and I'll play an iPhone game for 15 minutes which is just about me relaxing. But then I know I'm going to be really productive for the next mm-hmm. period of time. Mm-hmm. Other things to think about in this regards is 
great systems around organisation, so you can mm-hmm. structure your life in this way. Um, removing unnecessary stresses. A lot of people sit in, so when we think about the cost of mental energy, when you're sitting in stress and you're repeating those same thoughts over and over again, that is taking away from your mental you know, endurance. Mm-hmm. Um, things to also think about is to learn when you are going to your mentally stressed place or mentally fatigued place. So like for example, if I'm working at the computer and I'm starting to look at Facebook a lot, that's a mm. sign to me that I'm actually probably mentally fatigued. Mm. So I'm much better actually to stop work, go sit outside for five minutes, have a hot drink, and just unwind and do a bit of recharge, come back and then do some objective setting for my work that I'm going to do for the next period of time. So if you learn what my, my, my cues or my triggers are for my mental fatigue, then I can have much more control around not wasting. Like in the old days, my Fridays used to be a really bad day. Mm-hmm. And the reason was, was Friday I just... I'd have it would be the day where at the end of the day I'd sit back and go you know what I wasted two or three hours of my day mm-hmm. didn't have much productivity within it and not you know it's sure it's fine to relax but actually at the end of the day I'd just spent three hours looking at the internet pissing mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. and I learned okay I need to work on my Fridays and I learned that often, often I just didn't have a very good strategy around mental endurance so nowadays what I do on my Fridays is I just put some little breaks within it and I found my Fridays have been more productive so over the last few years I've been working on myself in that way and so I've been a lot more effective I'm a lot more focused and I can achieve a lot more through thinking about my life in that way so then I started to think about well this has been a really powerful thing for me to evolve myself at a much faster level and so you start to think about that's you know that's the objective of doing every everyday life. When we put that in our sport there's some big problems with Ironman when you think about this topic around Ironman the first problem is that Ironman as a race is a bloody hard thing mm-hmm. so it's not like I can stop at an Ironman and go and have a meditation you know what mm-hmm. I mean like we're doing it it's an event where we're going all day long for most people around 12 hours so mm-hmm. you know you're doing this event where you're doing a, a physically and mentally draining thing for a long period of time and we're also working in a ne- negative world so you know while we're trying to get as much nutrition in when we're racing we're actually slowly losing that battle as we go throughout the race and on the same side, on the mental side of things as well, is we are losing that mental endurance as we go throughout the race. And so what we want to do is we want to become really great at having that mental endurance for the last part of the race where the race really gets hard. Halfway so, on on the run. Yeah, pretty much. Halfway on the run, really. Mm. And so the nature of training of the sport, it, it helps us to develop that. So when we think about training, training does a few purposes. Obviously, there's a massive physical component to what we do, but it also teaches us a lot about mental toughness and overcoming adversity. The problem with our sport is we don't race a lot. Mm. So for someone like John, who's raced forever, you know, like you, you know, you're probably pretty good at this game just because you've raced forever. Mm, but when we think about Ironman athletes, most people probably do one to four races in their career. You mm. know, like that's probably the average. Yeah. And so a lot of people don't have the experience of that mental fatigue. And as much as you can train, even like... You don't do 12-hour 12, 12 sessions. No, no. Uh. And you, you, it's pretty hard to simulate what you're going to be feeling like in the last part of an Ironman mm. in your training. So the problem for a lot of athletes is while we think we are mentally tough, we've just never faced that kind of experience not just on a physical level but being that mentally fatigued. So the question then I thought about was how do we explore that side of ourselves in a way that can actually make it make us learn how to deal with that situation in the race when we haven't faced it or we haven't faced it a lot in ways that's taught us strategies to be successful? So then I started thinking, okay, well, if that's the case, really what we want to do is we, like our nutrition, we're trying to look at different ways we can have sessions where 
you know, nowadays we've got this kind of, um, you know, metabolic kind of training where it's training mm. your body to use its fat stores. And, you know, but we also want to have sessions where we're doing metabolic training. And then we want to have sessions where we are actually doing race day nutrition. So we're making sure our body is conditioned to the kind of carbohydrates you're going to take on race day. But also to have your metabolic sessions where it is teaching your body to be a little bit starved so it's going to use its fat stores. Mm. Well, the thinking I was kind of coming to with this was, we should probably be thinking about that with the mental endurance of our racing as well. So there obviously is the component of race training days where we want to be fresh, sharp, 100% focused on the sessions we're doing that day so we can hit it and get the most physical benefit from our training. So I would say that within your training week or within a block of time, you look at your week and you go, these are my A sessions. And if we go back to the mental um, mental endurance side of thinking about it is if for these sessions I want to have my A game so I mm-hmm. want to be well rested good nutrition plan it at a time of day that works for me you know as I think about how I live my life right now how do I fit my training in those days but then on top of that I think it is worth putting some sessions in where you actually deliberately put yourself in a mentally fatigued state before you even start the session mm-hmm. so the whole idea would be that you do things that make you that the session is going to be mentally hard before you even start so so what would you look at you'd probably look at <clears throat> a lack of nutrition but i also think probably one of the biggest thing is lack of sleep or lack of lack of um or being very tired as you head into those sessions so if we think about you know you might determine that every once in a while you you know if you might only try to do three hours sleep and then try to do a hard training session leading mm. into that. And I would say within that session, you probably want it to be a 90-minute to two-hour run because, again, if we look at an Ironman race, that's where we're going to be experiencing the hardest part of the race. If you race smart, and we'll talk about this a little bit in a minute, but if you race smart, an Ironman race should only really begin in the second half of the marathon. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure you, you, know, yep. you know, that's where the mind game begins. And so really, if you were to use some lack of sleep, some lack of nutrition, and then to go out to do a 90-minute to two-hour run, and then to explore what happens inside your head at that place. Mm-hmm. So you're actually learning, you know, because if you, let's say you've only had three hours sleep, and then you've, and you haven't eaten, and, and, it, and you do the run at the end of the day as well, so you've also used all your mental energy throughout the day, and you try to do a 90-minute quality run, mm-hmm. you're going to be losing that battle. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing that, to me, that's where a lot of learning can come around how to deal with the last part of an Ironman where that we don't get to explore through racing. So for me, it's, it's occasionally setting up sessions like that where you are deliberately putting yourself on zero in your mental endurance and then learning strategies and coping mechanisms so you can perform your best at that place. Mm-hmm. So then... Setting up those sessions, and again, you wouldn't want those to be around your A sessions, but you will want them to happen occasionally. What you're looking at at those times is you really are trying to think about strategies, mental strategies, because often what happens when we get to our tired places, we go to an emotional place. Now, you talk to John. John John has a really good ability to deal with the mental side of the game because, again, he's so experienced and he's developed these really strong mental strategies around, you know, don't go emotional, go processed Mm. and all that kind of stuff. And, And really what we're looking at with these sessions are, is planning those sessions in a way where we are the objective of the session is to learn mental strategies. Mm-hmm. So a big part about that would be preloading the mental strategies you're going to try to practice at those times. Mm-hmm. So there's there's an awareness aspect of it. <clears throat> learning when I'm mentally fatigued, what are the negative thoughts that are going to hold me back? So learning those to be triggers to make me process, you know, okay, I'm starting to think I'm starting to doubt my ability as a person. I'm starting to doubt my character. I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm bringing negativity from other part of my life into my training right now. I'm telling myself, I'm creating, I'm living in doubt. So you use those as triggers towards, okay, 
this tells me I need to go towards strategies that remove emotion and put my mind towards how do I get to the end of this run in the best way possible. And I think uh, you've got to you've got to recognise, um, have a plan for that because that could happen. In any, I mean, Bevan's talking about designing specific sessions where you might do this, but there's plenty of instances where you explode in, in the training yeah. and go right. Here's an opportunity. I feel like crap. I'm going rubbish here. Then there's your opportunity. Well, to it's funny. I'm, it. I'm coaching a girl in, in Japan right now, and um, she's doing a bit of running. And, and I've just started coaching her, and she was doing a 5k TT the other day, and she was saying how she just gave up because her times were fading, and mm. she said that perfection. I, I want perfection if I don't get it, and it's like, well, no, that's that's not what we're working towards. Mm. The big question when you get to that place, and this is what you want to do, is these sessions help you to create awareness around when I'm going down that path, and ultimately what we want to do as athletes is we need to learn. When am I going down that path faster? Mm-hmm. So you need to get really great at your awareness around I'm going I'm, I'm going down the wrong direction in my thinking, which is ultimately going to cost me time. Now, if you sit in that place for half an hour, that's going to cost you a massive amount of time at the end of your race. Mm. If you can discover that within two or three minutes, then you can then put your question towards, well, what's the best things that I can do right now to get me to the finish line as fast as possible? And that's the whole idea of these sessions is learning that kind of thinking and, and thinking of strategies. And one thing on top of that, so you, is having the awareness and then I think one thing to do is also is to to preload strategies you can put in place before you have the session. So to know that if once that awareness point comes up, I'm going to explore these strategies. Now, some you may discover in doing, but some will be things you've learned from training or, or ideas you've heard from other people and stuff like that. But the key to those sessions are that you actually have an objective, 100% objective is that I'm trying to learn how I mentally can get through that level of mental fatigue. Mm-hmm. And ideally, by doing those sessions, you know, probably not all the time, but every so often, is that you're trying to practice what you're trying to do, you're trying to refine it, and you're trying to keep retrying it so that you learn how you work, because no two athletes are the same. Mm. And so for us athletes to kind of go, well, this is what John does, it might not work for me. Now, I can try what John does, and I might go, yeah, that, that's a good one. Or I might go, oh, that's not really my way of doing things. Mm. Over time, in this very stressful environment, which is stimulate, stimulating what you do in an Ironman, you're learning how you're going to deal with that situation once you get that race. Some things to think about is, when we're in this place is learning to remove wasted thoughts. So when we think about people who live in stress in life, what happens when we have in stress in life is that we tend to have repeat thoughts. So when you think about a moment in your life when you've been really, really stressed, what happens is it's almost like you've put that thought on replay and it just goes over and over again. So if we think about mental endurance, that each time you have that thought over and over again, it's costing you that. So when you're in this mentally drained place, is start to become aware of if you're having repeat thoughts that are actually just wasted thoughts. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those awareness things. Um, what you're trying to do is to replace this with strategies. So just post this session. So once you've kind of started implementing these sessions, post these sessions, a couple of really important things are make sure you have an amazing recharge and reset post-session. So even as you're planning these types of sessions into your training, I would say you also want to plan what you're going to do once you get back from that session. So obviously good nutrition, good rest, and probably a bit of a reflection around what you've learned from that session around mind strategies moving forward so that next time you're going, okay, once I get to that point where I'm feeling these things, here's what I need to put in place and here's where where I refine it. Develop your mind, I think also around this stuff here is also learn to develop your mind in other activities that can gain 
strength through your mental endurance. So like the little things like I'm becoming a stronger person through piano because I'm learning mental toughness, which then mm-hmm. I can take into other activities. So to have things in your life that actually test your mental endurance is a good thing. Have some children, that'll test your mental endurance. Oh, well, definitely. <laughs> so, so then we go to race week. So then the next part is, so that would be training, is learning mind strategies, using this, you know, and I really think of that whole idea of having sessions where you are mentally at zero going into it around and simulating that last part of an Ironman, so doing a 90 mm-hmm. to 2 minute to our run. So race week, so first of all, what we want to do is race week and race day is have amazing planning that removes unnecessary stresses. So if you know you're that person who is A, highly stressful, what are things that you do in your life that help you remove stress that isn't necessary? And often planning is, is a really mm. great way of doing mm. that. But also, what are really great de-stressing methods for you? Now, it was really interesting. When we had the earthquakes in Christchurch, I got a call from my manager who works in Auckland um, for Les Mills. And a few months later, she was speaking to me and she said, it was really interesting talking to you, Bev, because I spoke to all the instructors in Christchurch and you were the only person who wasn't stressed. And uh, everyone else was you know, really stressed and all the rest of it, and you were the only person who wasn't stressed. And, uh, and I really think that the reason I was is because as a part of my daily life, I've created these de-stressing habits, so like meditation, like writing a journal at night, mm-hmm. all these little things that help me de-stress, and even little things in moments that if I'm stressed, I just know to go to. And I think a big part of this in your day-to-day life is to learn to implement de-stressing methods. Now, in your race week, this will be really important because you are feeling really stressed and you become aware of this, especially race morning and, and the day before, you can learn to put those de-stressing things in place. It might just be a breathing technique. It might mm-hmm. just be go sit by yourself for a few minutes and put some music on before the race. All those types of things are about trying to put yourself in de-stress so that you can have as much mental energy for the race. Ideally, when we actually get into the race, what we're trying to do is we're trying to delay the moment where the mental game begins. And that's the most important thing is that ideally, the longer we can keep that mental challenge away from us and the closer we can keep that to the finish, the stronger the race we're going to have. Chill out when you can. Yeah, totally. And there's a few aspects around that. First of all is obviously race smart. So the biggest thing we see is that people race above their current ability and what they train. Mm. So, you know, nowadays we have so many great tools. So we want to use these tools as a control mechanism that keeps us within the ability that our training tells us that we can do. And often people, it's the biggest mistake we see in Ironman is that people just don't race smart and their mental game begins way earlier. So Mm -hmm. if your mental game is beginning in the bike, well, you've you've cocked up big time. And and really, the longer you can keep that mental game away, you're trying to find that fine balance between the mental game is enough of a push that I can get my best performance to the end, but also I'm getting the best ability. So physically, I'm still getting a result that is based on a time that's important to me. But what we want to be doing throughout the day is is staying in a calm, relaxed place and dealing with the the problems we're going to face in a way that is non-stressful so that you know, like if you can get to the last 10 Ks or 10 Ks to go, and that's where the mind game begins, you're going to have a pretty great race. You're not a winner. Yeah, whereas if you start your marathon and the mind game's beginning, well, you're going to walk the marathon. Yeah. And and that's what we're trying to do is when we're racing is, are my thoughts delaying the amount of time where I'm, the mental game's going to begin? So that's a big part. And so we're looking at, you know, First, before races, how do I stay de-stressed and how do I plan so I don't have stresses? How do I allow the people around me to know to keep me relaxed? Once the race starts, I'm really thinking about that stuff. And one thing we have to be aware of in Ironman is shit is going to happen. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. all the time in our races, there's going to be things you haven't planned for. And you need to learn how to, again, 
deal with that, move on straight away. So my example from one of my IMEs is my error bar broke. And my I had one of those ones where they used to fold down. And mm-hmm, one of them mm-hmm. fell off halfway yeah. through the bike. And nice. that could have been a really stressful situation. And I yeah. thought, oh, well, just deal with it. So I... I taped one of my bike tubes to it and just used that as it. And yeah. I dealt with it, moved on, and that was a really good outcome, which didn't let me sit in it for a long period of time. Nice. And what a lot of athletes do is the shit thing happens, and then they sit in it for the next two hours. Mm. And that's taking that emotional energy from them or that mental energy from them, which means that point where their game begins is going to be further on and, or closer in the race. So when shit happens, learn to deal with it and then let it go. Even if it's stuff that's unfair, you might get a time penalty mm. and you weren't actually the person doing the problem. Well, move on because it's not going to help you have a performance. Then what we want to do is you're trying to, again, delay that time where the shit happens or we know where the mental game begins. But then from there, once that mental game begins, that's where we want to implement the strategies with practice and training. So mm-hmm. ideally, the training stuff we've put in place that's what we're, you know, all those strategies and methods you've learned and practiced through those kind of training days where you've put yourself in that zero fatigue place. Ideally, you have a much better strategies to deal with getting to the finish line as fast as possible. And that's what happens. Like I look at my races, I would just get to a point where the game got too hard and I'd just mm-hmm. give up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and the races I was really proud of was, was the ones when the game got hard and I didn't give up. Exactly. And really, some of my Ironman races, I look at and I, and I go, I could have done much better than I did because mm. once I gave up, I just completely gave up. And mm. that's what tends to happen with the mind game is once we give up, we just completely give up. And I suppose the, just the last couple of quick points is a good strategy around that is once you get to a point, so I always think of intensity scale. If you're sitting on a scale, if you're in the last part of the Ironman and your intensity scale is on a nine, that means you're working pretty hard to maintain the, the, the speed that you're going at. So mm-hmm. I'm running at a four minute K pace, but my intensity scale is nine. So I'm pushing hard to hold that pace. Mm. What I would do in, the, in my bad eye means is that I would go from a nine down to a six. I'd just mm. give up. You know, mm. I'd go to a five and I'd go to, you know, six and a half minute Ks. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is if we know I can't hold a nine out of 10 on my intensity scale, well, what can I hold? Can I hold an eight? And that may mean that I drop down to 415s, 420s, but again, it's going to get me to the finish line as fast as possible. So when we think about mind strategies, those are things we want to think about. Ultimately, what we want to be doing is this is an area that we want to develop and we should be developing in our training. And I think that if we were to implement this type of stuff into our training in a sport where you don't get to face this challenge realistic, like if you're doing ITU short course, hmm. you get good at the game just because you can do it every weekend. Yep. You know, whereas in this, we just don't get the opportunity to do this. So if, to create simulations like this, then ultimately you're going to be better prepared for that moment when race day and you'll get a better race. So come on, come on an epic camp. Well, yeah, Epicamp is a good Epicamp example. Epicamp is a big one. Yeah, so totally. this year on, on the camp when we were going to Volcano, it was day three or day four. It was a 200-kilometre bike ride. People were tired when they started. Then at the end of the climb, you have a fifth, end of the day, you have 50-kilometre, 40, 50-kilometre climb, and people are just frazzled and, yep. and what have you. But then they got to the end of that day and they thought, holy shit, you know, break through some barriers there. And that is one of the instances where you can put yourself in that place. I mean, you can do the one-off sessions as Bevan, Bevan I think said. I think the nice thing about the one-off sessions that Epic Camp doesn't happen, because what the great thing about Epic Camp is people pull you through. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? Like, you know, like I, in my book, I write a chapter about Epic Camp and I write about how... You know, one of the worst days I ever had on Epic Camp, I, it was the one day I thought I'd give up. Mm. And then you get on the bike and the people pull you through. Mm. And in some ways, that's the real value of Epic Camp, but it doesn't necessarily teach you about sometimes about the alone journey. Yep. And so in doing the stimulate, you know, doing the what I'm kind of suggesting here, 
if you go out and after a long day of no sleep and no food, mm. you're alone, you know, mm. and that's more of the Ironman mm. experience. So that in that way, it's probably getting a bit of both in. So I think I think my my only input there at the end would be, as I said earlier, is re- when you're having a shitty session, that is a massive opportunity. So whether it's pre-planned, like Bevan said, or whether you're just out on a one of your long bike rides and you bonk and you blow up, or you're feeling rubbish. Get excited because that's a massive opportunity to try to. You you may not be able to pump out great power, but as Bevan said, you know you you might not be able to get 300, 300 watts that you want to be riding along at or two hundred watts, whatever it might be. But let's see how close you can get and and how far you can push yourself. And if you can do that and and training and repeat it on a regular basis, um, then you're onto a winner. And just lastly, the the only other point I would probably add is look to other areas of your life when you've had really mentally draining times. And if you've been successful, what strategies have you used? You know, there's, you know, ultimately all all activities in my life should be making me understand myself to a higher level. And that's what you can do with this stuff. So there you go, it's my coach. Bevan, that was a new record. You, you could have pre preempted me that you were going to spend half an hour on uh, on the topic. Oh, well, when you said the show's about finish, oh, he's in trouble oh, here. Jesus, yeah, he's in here trouble we go. Here. Yeah, Sponsor. Sponsor. Okay, John Bohu's Coffees of Hawaii. Oh. It's it's time to do a bit of uh, gift giving. You know, we're in the the middle of the year. We haven't got Christmas. You might, if you haven't got, maybe you have a birthday coming up. Oh, I've got a birthday coming up this weekend. Oh, how are you going to um, be? I am going to be. What am I going to be this year? Thirty eight. Thirty eight. Yeah. Because you're a year yeah. older than me, aren't you? Yeah. Ding dong, only two years to go to a big four zero. Does it worry you? No. No, neither. Because I'm looking forward to my epic camp in France in 2016. Is it, is it when you're 40? Yep, doing it. Nice. We're doing it. Uh, so a bit of gift giving time. If you want to get a, or, or if you just want to try a variety of coffees, they've got the sample coffee packs on Coffees of Hawaii. You can get um, a sampler box, which is just for all three coffees from one island. Or you can go for a sampler box from two islands where you get four coffees. Or you can go for three islands or four islands even. <laughs> oh my God. So you one one pack that's got four different I'm doing uh, three islands when we go over. Molika, Maui, Molokai, Kona and Ohio. Um, you can get a coffee from each island. It's just a cool way of doing it. Do a bit of uh It is nice tasting. because one of the problems in life is we can often get stuck in our ways. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's it's you kind of just get these patterns. Spice it up. And then occasionally you break the mould and you go, Oh wow, I should have tried that earlier. Exactly. And to do something like this, you give it a try, it's all good. And yep. then next thing you know, Bob's a millionaire. You find you find you what you like. So check it out, coffeesofaway.com. Go through imtalk.me, click on the Coffees of Hawaii logo. That's got all our promo codes up there. And uh, you're away laughing. Have you been keeping an eye on the World Cup? I just had there, Germany and it's Algeria. Zero, zero. zero. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I cleared a few emails in that last uh, yep. 25 minutes. <laughs> thanks, mate. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, right beautiful. Okay, uh, what have we got next? Uh, right. We've only just got one little, it's not so much of a question, rather a comment from a listener talking about um, Little Debbie's. You bet we were, oh, we, yeah, we're giving we, a hard time. Everybody yeah, everybody was slagging off yep. Little Debbie's. He loves them. I was listening to your discussion on Little Debbie's, Debbie's sponsorship. Back 10 years ago, my race nutrition was Little Debbie's. Haven't had one in years, but the oatmeal cream pies are all awesome <laughs> good on you i can't stand goo or gels um when you break it down why does the brand on the bot um oh, i can't even read that uh why not have a treat on the bike with pretty much the same nutritional value exactly i mean he's, he's kind of right because we eat shit in the race don't it's we it's just sugary crap the way a lot of the stuff we take in so i i think my point was um Little Debbie's is, 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 is fine from time to time. Whether you want to have Little Debbie's uh, three times a day every day, that's when you get into, into difficulties. But it uh, certainly is something you can consider for an alternative race strategy, nutrition, and just something to have a little bit different as you go through. Scott Connolly sent through an email. Remember last week, uh, the Mountain Snail, a.k.a. the Hawk, 
saw that photo of he was watching the race and he saw someone coming across the finish line and I am talk tricep. Oh yes, yes. Well, it, was, it was Scott Connolly. Scott Connolly. And nice. uh, and he's guys listened to the most recent podcast and heard that someone was spoiled uh, spotted at Ironman Australia wearing an I am tricep and uh, so I had a squiz on the website and yep, it was me, boys. I've actually ra- haven't raced without it in the last couple of years. Been from Sydney to Canberra to Germany to Port Macquarie. So he's popped me through some photos. So I'm going to put one on this week's show notes as well. So love your very, work. Very nice. So team, just just on if you do did enjoy my little coach's corner segment, that's kind of what I do on my fitness behavior podcast. So if you want to, I'm kind of into the mind of exercise. So if you if you want to check out my fitness behavior podcast and my books, very much that kind of stuff as well. So when it comes out, it might be a bit more of that stuff coming up in uh, August as well. What's in August? <laughs> I might start lumping a bit more stuff on you in August. Oh, because you're going away? Yeah. My well, book's coming out in August. Oh, there you go. You can <laughs> do a, I'll do a, we'll do, we'll, yeah, I'm definitely going to do a book plug on here. Go on. Yeah. Um, sponsors. Righty-ho. Athlinks.com. And if you want to find people in your local area, you can do that on Athlinks. You can just uh, click on the old Athlinks tab up the top. I did this last night and I thought, I wonder how many people in Christchurch are on here. And I actually specifically put in here, uh, I thought, I'm, I want to see how many people sort of yep, between the age them. of uh, 20 and, and 40. Oh, you're, um, you're limited. Males, and I wanted them to be within... Uh, Females, you sound like a well, stalker. you could do that if you wanted to go, you know, I want to start going I Facebook, I Facebook stalked last week's age group, didn't I? The girl who... Debbie Hazeldean. Yeah, remember? And then apparently she was on another podcast as well, Fitter Fit Radio with oh, yeah. Bevan McKinnon. So she's just had the week of, uh, of of hitting it. So I thought, right, I want to see, uh, I did put, well, let, let's go girls. I could put uh, girls age 20 to 40, you know, want to find a few, find a new mate. I don't particularly want to find a new mate, but say you did, and I don't want to find a runner, I want to find a triathlete. <laughs> I, don't, so I don't either, actually, because I'm, I'm, I'm happily in a couple. You can, you can eliminate the runners, and you can eliminate, I don't want a duathlete, crikey, what are they doing? Or somebody who does aqua bike. Uh, they need to be close, so the 25 miles is okay, and then you can narrow that search down, and you can find some like-minded people in your area. You may think that we're just having a bit of a joke here, but as we found out from Romeo and Juliet, <sighs> love can happen. Love can happen, and you can put in your, your debut, there we go, Debbie Hazeldean uh, comes up. She must. She used to live in Christchurch, so I'm not sh- quite sure why she comes up. But you know, I've got Karen Pearson, who's from Christchurch. Uh, Prasa Prasata Armstrong. She's 32 from Christchurch. Do you know her? Um, uh, is she go out with the 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 other runner dude who does the ultras? Oh yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the yeah. Gym, she comes from yeah. Yeah, she's not school. Emma Jenkins, she's no, from Christchurch. Natasha Douglas and Therese Arno. So. Found a few girls in the area within so, 25 miles. So if miles. you're a single triathlete, mm. <laughs> you can you can hone that in a bit more by how many, yeah, how many races cool, I've done. One of the problems, like when I my first year of Ironman, I didn't train with anyone, John. Mm. I, like I seriously didn't, I, and I didn't know any of the routes. Like I just mm. said, I'm going to do an Ironman, and and I went. I literally used to ride towards bloody Tamarum back every day mm. up the bloody motorway, mm. big trucks. Boom, boom. All day, and I, I seriously probably did that ride for a year, mm-hmm. and then once I did Ironman, I started to meet some triathletes. Yeah. Now if someone like me in that situation, if I knew athletes, I could have kind of gone on there and said, oh, you know, if anyone's training, can you yeah. let me know? And so you can go in there and you can just, uh, there is a message facility, so you can message people and just say, hey, see you're in the area, you do seem to do some Ironmans, can you point me in the direction of something, or you, you're rough, I mean, the other thing with this is then you can see people's speed, so you can say, I'm about your speed, do you know anybody that... Um, you know, wants to go out on training rides and stuff, yeah. so you can use it as a bit of a social networking tool. So check it out, athlinks.com. Okay, John, so just overall, all sponsors? Coffees of Hawaii. Yes, try the islands. Trainerroad.com. Can you beat us? Athlinks, did I just say athlinks? Yeah. Uh, extreme endurance. And you'll get the deal. Get, what was it? Nod. Nod. Yeah. yeah. John, I, I, I'm the only person who did nicknames this week, am I? No, I did nicknames. Oh, did you? Yeah. 
I get where you go. So we'll just uh, fire. Are you sure? Uh, hopefully I saved them. I don't think you saved them. I was doing them last night. I don't think you saved them. Because you missed the sausage you did last week. Let's have a look here. I did. Yeah, just wait for the fire. You f- start firing away with yours. Okay, so I, I'm going from... Hey, Mr. Deary? Deary? I say Deary? Deary? Dream Desher Deary. Nice. You like that? Because he yeah. dashes other people's dreams. Yeah. Good old Bob Brace. Badass. Three Bs. I yeah, like yeah, badass Bob yeah. Brace. That's a good one. Scott Forstall. Now, uh, is this, where would you say it? Forrestal? 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 It yeah. sounds like the guy, because there's a guy in Apple Computers called, called, called Scott Forrestall. Okay. And uh, they actually got rid of him. It was a bit controversial. But, <laughs> right. but <clears throat> he was a very influential person at Apple Computers. So I've called Scott the developer. Nice. Then I've got um, Stuart Ensel. Now, I'm not sure why I thought Formula One, huh? but I just did. And uh, was it Nigel Mensel? Yes. And I went yeah, Ensel. Yeah. 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 And so then I went F1 Maniac. Nice. Yes. Uh, Ian, Wo- Ian Wood, we were talking, <laughs> talking I go to John, what should we call Ian Wood? What'd you say? Robo Man. Robo Man. Because Ian doesn't have much shoulder rotation when he runs. No, it's very tight rotation. Yeah, he's very much a classic triathlete who doesn't have swim shoulders, yeah. elbows side to side. Um, I can't swim very well. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he's at the pool this morning. He's there all the Boy, time. Boy's a legend. Um, could, could call him Mr. Lover Lover. Because he's, you know, partner of. Right. Yeah, what, yeah. Zania? Stalker. Yeah. Um, Richard Kingsford. I own the throne, Richard Kingsford. Richard came on our, um, uh, our camp in France a few years ago. Oh, did he? On the Cap Key car. Richard? He was a Kiwi guy. Oh, yeah, when I remember. lived in London. Yeah, 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 yeah I do remember. Um, Richard Kingsford, yep, so he's I own the throne because he's the king. Mm-hmm. Oh, one. Nice. Uh, Noah Williams, I was going to go down Noah path and then I was going to do something Williams, Serena Williams, and mm-hmm. I thought well, Serena Williams is the safe bitch. She just got knocked out. I know, and then she <laughs> got knocked out. So, uh, so, so he is Noah Williams, the safe bit. Cool. That's a cool one. I like that one. Paul Harden. Paul Harden. Paul Hurden. I'm all over the place. Good old Paul Hurden. In your face. Take that. In your face. Good old Sharon Duncan Coots. Coons? Cons. Cons. K O O N T Z. Cons. Isn't there a publisher with that name? Could be. Mm. I've called a shotgun shazza. Shotgun Shazza. Yeah. And then uh, good old Simon Fry, Cracker Smacker. Cracker Smacker. I did do some here, Bevan, um, but some of them were intermixed with some I did last week. So uh, I probably okay. didn't do my... my, my uh, That's right. My 10. Uh, I did not John Clothier, the villain. Oh, he nice. had a scary-ass picture on Netflix. <laughs> really? Stalker? Yeah, he, man, that was a bit scary. Um, did James Picker last week. Lisa Joanne Walbridge, the bullet. The she, bullet. She was from Baltimore. I just thought the Baltimore bullet. I don't know if that's such a thing. Matthew Flygar, TGV, which is the TGV is a fast train in, in France. And I got gar is the word for um, train station in France. And yep. Flygar, I thought, you know, fast train sort of thing. Nice. So TGV. Sarah Swoosh McKay. Nice. Because she had a picture of her racing in Auckland 70.3 and she was just smoking past there. Mandy Mockingbird Miller. Why is that? Because I just saw Eminem. Yeah. And I looked for Eminem oh, songs. Mandy Miller, nice. And there was a mock song called Mockingbird. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, David the Phenom Hale. Nice. That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Uh, Matt Albatross Young, he's got a finishing picture on, on Athlinks with his arms out wide and just looked like a bit of an al- albatross. And that's and it. And then that's it. Okay, guys, we've, got, we've probably got another 
Two or three weeks, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And then we'll be all done. So if you haven't got your name yet, it's, it's coming real soon. Okay, John Boy, what's your goss? What's my goss? What's my goss? Um, you go first. What's your goss? <laughs> I'll put it back on you. Birthday, birthday coming up this weekend. Do you get a present? Present. Do you? Yeah. No, I'm sure the kiddies will have something for me. Going out for a birthday dinner on Where Saturday. Go? Going to Pescator. What have you heard of it? Where's that? It's at the George. It's it's oh, fine it's high class. It's fine dining at the top. Yep. Taking the Do you like fine dining? Taking the entertainment book though. <laughs> <laughs> the George and the entertainment oh, book. Oh yeah. Really? It's a really good place in the entertainment yeah, book. It's no, good yeah, value, we're, Bevan. We're, yeah, we've got another set of friends and we always go, John always tells us about it. Yeah, no, it's good value. <laughs> I'll save myself ninety bucks on that meal. Oh you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but well, I'll take two. I'll take mine. My John, parents. I think there's a new market for food. I've decided. Yeah, because what's happened is you've got high end, not much food, mm. and then you got your kind of not I wouldn't say puppy, but bigger meals, mm. reasonably priced, mm. but a good meal, mm. but not so. Yeah, you know, yeah, fine quality. If you know what I mean. Yeah, there needs to be that mid range. There's not a lot there. Fine quality. With bigger meal, yeah, I know. Lone Star used to fill that that void perfectly. Yeah, but Lone Star's still pretty kind of dirty spuds and salad mm. with a bit of meat. Mm. Yeah, just saying. We should open a restaurant. We should. BJ's. BJ's. Uh, outside of that, Bevan, <laughs> we can't have a restaurant. <laughs> I'm coming in for extras. <laughs> Can I have the Happy Meal? <laughs> yes. Outside of that, Bevan. Um, I was pretty happy we didn't have a negative two degree frost on Saturday when Sunday when I was riding. The forecast was negative two. It was and beautiful. It, and it didn't turn out that way. So I was we quite had happy. a crap summer and autumn, but it's been an awesome winter. It's been it's going great. And outside of that, just living. How's training going? Training's going all right. Yeah. But up and down. Just the last few weeks, Project 2014 has just been laying that base and uh, not going too crazy on the intensity. But, you know, I had for are, 16 are you hours last week. It's pretty hard to race no, right now. No, no racing. Yeah, Epic Camp. There's going to be a fair amount of racing on Epic Camp. Yeah. When will so, you do your last big kind of Ironman, oh, half Ironman simulation? Oh, we'll be doing big big stuff in Kona. Like then, that's only 12 days out. So. Oh, so you'll do, um, you do a half? Uh, probably not quite a half, but yeah. we've done some But you like stuff. to do one about three weeks out, don't you? Once every month or so. Yeah. Mm. Um, I haven't got much else, just living. Just living the dream. Living the dream. Kids are full on, are they? Yeah. What do I do? I had soccer on, yeah, have soccer every Saturday. You're the coach, aren't you? I'm the coach, yeah. yeah. Do they call you coach? No, no, no. What do they call you? John. Mm. Mm. boy. Um, no, just... What's their name? What's the team name? Saints. Saints. Mm. I'm sure they're saints for you. They are. Are they winning? Not. Oh, it's just practice at this stage. When does that playing? They have a little tournament over the holidays. Ooh. Mm. We'll see. Bevan, let's go. Do you have that kid in the team? Like, I went to school. I played before. I have one bad kid in my team. Oh, do you? Yeah. No, I was meaning a good kid. Tell us about the bad kid. We have, one, we have one bad kid. One, when we have got one kid who's, who's very good as well. Yeah. Who's, your, who's your, your, your star in the making? Yeah, and he's much better than everybody else. They shine, you don't pick, they? You have to pick the teams. Go three shitty players with one good player yeah. versus the four average players. Yeah. What am I up to, John? Um, band practice last night. Band's coming along. We're going to be doing our first performance. Nice. I'm sure you'll be coming along. I definitely will be. <laughs> about, yeah. We've aimed for a month. Okay. So we're, we're, we're but we're just going to do an open mic. Okay. So you just go to a pub. You play three songs. Yeah. And then Wembley is the second performance. Second, yeah, second so if you're in the UK, Glastonbury, go to Glastonbury. Dolly Parton, she was on there last night. I did see that. Mm. Was she? she was good. Oh, she sings that Jolene song. Yeah. Jolene, 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 Jolene. Ah, she's all quality. Yeah, if, yeah. Carry she's on. A lot of face work, isn't she? She has a whole lot <laughs> a of, lot of face work. Carry on, carry on. Do you know what's funny about Jolene, um, Dolly Parton? Is 
they, the old ladies who get a lot of work done, they get the face work done, but their hands are really wrinkly. Mm. And so what she was, she wears basically a hand, like, uh, so yeah. you don't see her hands. Yeah, like, it's yeah. really funny yeah. how much they try to... Have you seen Joan Rivers? Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's like 80. Yeah, yeah. It's, we live in a strange world, John. We when are you going to get your first face work done? About happening. <laughs> if you were to get anything done, what would it be? Marchment. Yeah. Maybe we should edit that part out. Should think before I speak. I know I'm learning too much off you. <laughs> oh, I remember my day. Oh yeah, let's wrap it up. <laughs> talk, what about talk, you? Talk. What are you going to get done? Yeah, I don't want to lose my hair. I'm starting to recede. Eventually, I think that would be the one thing I'll battle with. Is right. I'm not. I'm not bad, but I would like to keep my hair. Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's number. Two, that's number two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> Uh, make sure you go listen to our Legends Out it's out this week it's a hell of a lot better content than on this show <laughs> oh it's a cold show oh you ready to wrap it up I'm Russ I'm Mendo train hard train smart kia kaha good time.